The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. America, you've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand up comedy? You want stand up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit down comedy. It's time for Coffee with the Dog. You make me laugh. I got nothing for you today. No laugh, no nothing. Look to the left and me take my hat off. Hello, people of Earth. It is Monday, uh, January 22nd, 2024. I wish I could say good morning and and be sincere about it, but I don't wish you a good morning. I wish you a shitty morning. Just about everybody. There is a handful of people that I wish a good morning to, but most people uh, on this planet right now uh, are not in my good graces. I think they suck. I'm really disappointed in humanity. I feel um, feel used and betrayed, but not just for me. Listen, I know that a grumpy bastard like this is not something that you want to tune into and listen to. And I, um, I almost don't want to be here. Well, I very much don't want to be here. I would like to give up this thing. I have guest books. But I'd like to throw in the towel on this whole fucking show and tell the whole world to piss off and just go create my Tom Segura sucks videos on YouTube and play music and do whatever I do for me and say, fuck everybody else. My friend, uh, James E. Chiaffo, um, as you know, as I said on Friday, and I told people this, he is suffering from a terminal disease, pulmonary fibrosis, which is a horrible way to die. It has a prognosis of two to three, two to five years at best of feeling like you're slowly being choked to death. And he needs some help financially for experimental medications to make his suffering just a little bit less. Starting on Friday, I sent out 2,000. 2,000 emails, one at a time. I did not put them into a mail list because I wanted them to go out and make sure that they weren't 
in spam folders or anything like that. I wanted to make sure they were received in, let me see if I can pull it up actually, in the subject line. I had begging for help. It's directly from me saying begging from begging for help. And the the message read like this. Hello, friend. Yes, this is a form letter. I've come to you with my handout, but not for money, just for a few minutes of your time. Although if you wish to donate a few bucks to the cause, I won't try to talk you out of it. My friend Jamie, uh, James D. Chiafalo is a local musician and a great guy who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness. He has advanced pulmonary fibrosis, which has a typical prognosis of two to five years to live. A lot of uh, entertainers, like a lot of entertainers, he is underinsured and needs some financial help for medicine that will make his suffering just a little less than it would otherwise be. Planning on doing a marathon podcast on Saturday the 27th. No longer planning on doing that, by the way. Starting at noon Eastern and going to 10 p.m. I'm asking entertainers who have been on my show and used it to promote gigs to donate five to ten minutes of their time while I ask the public to donate to GoFundMe. Please, if you can spare a few minutes, uh, you'll be doing it for a good. Uh, you'll be doing a good deed. As you know, you don't even have to leave home. It's all remote. So basically asking people to donate five minutes of their time from the comfort of their home while they could sit on their couch and drink coffee and feel nice and comfortable. Initially, well, my first response uh, happened uh, when I uh, announced it on Friday. Kelly from our chat room and who uh, is the president of Will's fan club said she would be uh, happy to help out in any way. She was the first person to say yes. But out of the 2,000 emails, my initial response was three. Uh, uh, two of them, one of them uh, from uh, Gary Morgenstein, a friend, author from Brooklyn, New York, who said, yes, immediately, I'm in. And then Elliot McConnell said that she, they would check our, uh, their schedule. They have a gig that night. But if there's any way they could do it, they would be in. And a guy named David Jacobs, for, who runs a group called Long Island uh, Entertainment and uh, Nightlife, wrote to me and said, fuck off, I don't know this guy. No, you can't post it in my group. No, I won't help. Fuck you. How about that? That was my initial response. Out of 2,000 people who've been on this show, used it to promote their gigs, used this time, have no problem asking, can I come on? Can I, you know promote what I got going on? Sure. Can I get five minutes of your time for a friend who is suffering? Fuck off. That's what we get. So I'm in a bad place. I'm in a bad place with humanity. I don't, I don't like people. Now I will say uh, since I put it out there that uh, I'm really disappointed with in humanity, Emma Kay and Robert Taylor and a few other people have come forward, and uh, Craig Mitchell, I'm forgetting a couple of names, but not 10, not 10 people out of 2,000 emails and posts all over social media begging for five minutes of your time from home to ease another human being's suffering. What's wrong with people? What the fuck is wrong with people? The guy is going to be choked to death by his own body. And all he's asking for is a little help. 
And all I was asking for is five minutes of your time. Five minutes of your time. Now, how am I supposed to be all supportive of guests coming on this program when I know that if they need, if I need them for anything, five minutes of time from their home, fuck you. It's a big fuck you. That's what I get. They know if the tables were turned and they need me, they can call me and without thinking about it, I'll say yes. Then I'll look at my calendar after that and figure out how to make it work. Again, I know other people will suffer from this disease and we can't do it for everybody, but five minutes of your fucking time. It's heartbreaking. I feel betrayed by people who know whenever they don't even have to come on the program. I share every fucking thing they want. I, I jump through hoops to promote people. And when I ask for five minutes for a dear friend who is suffering with a terrible disease, an awful disease, a horrible disease, I can't get five minutes of your time from home. You could do it from fucking bed. I'm angry. Yes. And I know that does not make people want to tune in or watch this. And I don't fucking care. I gave Willie and GD the option of opting out for this because I told them I'm not going to be any fun to be around. I know nobody wants to be around me when I'm like this. I'm a fucking angry, bitter person at humanity. And not everybody, but the large majority of the human race sucks. I don't know where else to go from there. So we have two guests scheduled for today. One of them, Joel Bouchard, is a philosophy major, or a philosopher. He's uh, he's actually a, a, a generalist in a lot of ways. He's a musician and an artist, uh, and uh, he's a uh, a doctoral student in psychology, maybe he can help me figure some of this stuff out and, and lose some of this bitterness. Right now, I can't even sleep. I can't. I I don't know how people just go on with their lives and say, "Well, fuck it. It doesn't it doesn't help me. It doesn't affect me. Fuck. I don't care. Oh, oh well." Oh, Jackie Martling, I forgot. Did I say Jackie was one of the first people who would chime in, too? There's a couple of people, but not ten. All I wanted was fucking five minutes of your time. Five minutes. Come on, sing a song. Come on, tell a joke while I run the GoFundMe stuff. It's not going to happen. So, basically, I went to... First... And I don't even want to talk about what I did. But Saturday is now taken. My time is going to be taken up doing other stuff to try to help out. So we're not going to be doing this thing. And listen, it's not the most productive way to help. I understand that. But I want people who have used this platform to promote themselves to give back a little. That's all I was asking for. Breaks my heart, man. Anyway, Willie NGD did not take my offer to um, 
opt out this morning. They're both here. Willie changed his background and his place of uh, uh, broadcast. And yeah, I'm in a little... Minnesota now. You where? In Minnesota, Hendricks, Minnesota. My wife and I arrived here yesterday. Oh, wow. Oh. Well, oh, you got a show there or something? What's going on? Uh, no, we're spending some time with some dear friends of ours. Uh, uh, you, pro- you probably have less bandwidth than you did in South Dakota. Good morning, GD. Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, you got nothing uh, yeah, to say about here. shit. No, no, I did. I did have something to say. Oh, here it is. I forgot. Here it is. I, I had to do. You do a different mug because there's no coffee. So check out the Church of Last Resort on Sundays. There are fifteen episodes without an incident. Without a what? <laughs> without an incident. Without an incident. I can't, no. I can't say accident. Because there have been accidents. Well, okay. is there no this, incident? this is a church. This is a church. So I got to ask, when you say incident, do you mean child touching? Incident. It means what it means. <laughs> it, needs what it, it means what it needs to mean to you. Ah. Oh. Well, I grew up Catholic, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and, see, and I never grew up. I never grew up. So I, I, me neither. Now, now, Matt, I, this is just out of my own curiosity. I don't, I didn't see an email from you. I didn't send one oh. to you two guys. What? I just know. Oh, okay. Okay. No, Man, I just want no, to, no, to make sure. Too, GD. I was like, fuck, no, did I no, get an no, email I didn't respond to? I was like, I think it would go without saying that be there. Fuck. I talk to you guys no. every fucking every day right, personally yeah. i don't need to send you a formal email to beg beg you for five minutes of your time. okay all right we're just making right, sure that our heads were on the chopping block it's yeah. not because and i had a uh, i do work on the side i do there's a show called Politipod. i write sketches for them and i also uh they were sending me parts for me to edit for a sketch and there was one person's part i didn't receive and i kept saying i don't have your part and they said i sent it <laughs> I said, where'd you send it? And they, they told me my email address. And I said, okay. And they said, I'll send it again. And I, like, and they, they, I said, I still don't see it. And I kept hitting refresh on my screen and nothing was popping up. And I started sending myself emails to make sure I was receiving emails. And I kept receiving emails. And I, I sent them another note saying, I don't see it. And they said, I'll send it again. And then after about an hour, all four of them showed up at one time. Yeah. All four wow. emails. May, a lot of times it's whitelisting. A lot of times it's email service. But again, I uh, I know about these things, and I went through. I started on Friday, and this is what what people really what uh, it adds to my frustration here. Imagine cutting and pasting two thousand individual emails. Going to, instead of having it from a mail list or an autoresponder or something like that, going through every email. Pasting the email address in there, pasting the letter in there, pasting the subject line in there, two thousand times from Friday morning, the time we and we wrapped up on Friday morning until late Saturday night, and then looking at my emails and saying nobody's fucking responding to this, nobody. Um, Well, I mean, the one thing I do want to say is. Uh, not everybody necessarily checks their email over the weekend. Some people do try and take that break. Um, and I mean, uh, I don't know. You know, I I'd certainly you know what, Willie? Being, uh, Let me let me just stop you there. I send out the show uh, schedule 
on the weekend, and they always reply back within seconds. The same people who have asked to be on the show get an email confirming it. They have no problem reading it on a Sunday afternoon and saying, yeah, I'm in. I'll be there looking forward to it. Right. So that yeah. that excuse is not going to wash with me. <laughs> okay. okay, how about this one? How about this one? Okay. <laughs> did, you, did you send them alphabetically? Because they may need to respond alphabetically. So you may have a guy whose last name starts with a W, and he's looking at the list going, damn it, I can't wait for these you know, T's and U's to respond so that I can respond. Gary Morgenstein was the first one uh, to respond within seconds. Okay. Elliot first of all, everybody, everybody who knows Gary knows he's dyslexic. So that doesn't count. Next. <laughs> Who's next? Uh, Elliot McConnell was next. Uh, They're Craig, musicians. They, they were Craig probably, Mitchell, you know. Craig Mitchell okay. and Jackie Martling. Okay, I got nothing then. I, I got nothing. Yeah. I, up until you, up until you said Jackie, I could, I had an excuse for everybody else. And There's I, no sent, excuse for Jackie. I sent them out. There's no excuse for Jackie. Yeah. I sent them out in chronological order. I was going through the people who have been on this show, going back to the beginning, uh, in chronological order, trying just you know. And again, I understand if some people uh, see an email and that's just begging for help. I don't, you and, know. Yeah. Uh, it, that mean, could put people off right away. But I'm going to say you didn't do yourself favors with the header. Uh, well, I, I had, you know, begging for help. If if I came to you begging for help and you, uh, you know, said, I got no time for you, I'd never have anything to do with you again. Well, I'm begging I, for I, help. I understand that. I understand that. Um, I mean... I understand that it's very disheartening. I don't. I don't want to. I'm not going to act like like you, your feelings about it are misguided or whatever. But you know, one of the things that uh, ex-wife number two used to say to me all the time was that expectations are just predetermined resentments. You know, uh, and and like, you know, um, it's important to do the right thing no matter what the outcome is. You know what I mean? And you were doing the right thing. You know? Uh, um, it's impossible to do the right th right thing. Uh, well, it was impossible to make it happen. And, and it's not a, it's not about me. It's about a guy who was fucking hit the rest of the... He has two to five years tops to live, and that time yeah. is going to be spent feeling like somebody is slowly choking you to death. Right. With their hands around your neck. And all I was asking for was five minutes from their couch to say, tell a joke, do what you do, come on, sing a song, tell a joke, whatever, for five minutes while I put up a banner that says, please give. That's, you know, what? how the fuck do you not have five minutes from your house to give to, to a cause like that? And two of the people I have done 40 hours of that for or 10 hours of that for. I'm not going to mention it in, but I mean, it's pretty simple correspondence. Begging for help from people I've done this for who also, who had cancer, which is, let's, you know, there's no disease Olympics here, but cancer has hope in today and treatment. This disease has yeah. no hope in treatment. No hope, no treatment. Right. And so, and those are people I've gone out of my way and it, we raised, we raised 30,000 and 25,000 for each of them. They didn't have fucking five minutes to say, sure, I'll help. 
people have I done mean, it for you. How do you fucking live with humanity? It, it, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying. Well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, if anything, if anything, it's even more reason to be a bright light. Because if, if it's that grim, if it's that dark, isn't it even more important for you to shine your light? It, may, like, it might be more opinion, important, like, but I got me, I got no light left. They fucking uh, they they stomped it out. Well, there's definitely light out. left because you're still on fire. You know, you, it's just a different kind of fire yeah. right now. But that definitely, you know, you're still lit up, bro. You know what I mean? I but know. I'm not going to sleep over there, and I don't understand how people yeah. can just walk away. I just don't understand it. I, I just want to say two things real quick. Um, uh, and this is what they're both. One's a change, complete change of the topic. And the other one is a roundabout way. If it's about the topic. Jackie stuff, don't hold on to uh, of going. Uh, I want to talk to you about the going to see Jackie the other night, but I want to, I want to wait a little bit on that. If, if so. Okay. Then I'll, so I have one thing. <laughs> All right. What was the other thing? <laughs> um, a few years ago, my, my favorite, my, my, one of my favorite people in the world um, was, this is back in COVID. Um, he had COVID and he had um, a pre-existing condition, sarcoidosis. And between the two of them, he wound up with only like two or three weeks to live. And he knew it. The doctors told him, he, he, they knew. And so I, and I was calling him as often as I could. And we would laugh and joke on the phone because First of all, he was my, he knew he was dying, but also he was like my biggest comedy fan. And he um, was my aunt's favorite nephew. And I told one of the things I said to him, I said, look, George, you can't die because if you die, then my brother becomes her favorite nephew. And I, we can't, we can't have that. He's, you no, know, I, my brother's, my brother, I can't live with my brother now and he's number two. If he becomes number one, there was like there'll be no living with him. And he goes like, uh, "There's nothing I can do about it." The doctor said I have three weeks to live, and I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, can we swap places? I mean, is there like can we talk to someone? Can we put you no?" Know? And you no, know, I said, "But we're having these you no know, these laughs, you know." And then two days later, his son posts on Facebook, "Doctors got it wrong. Fuck COVID." And put a picture, post a picture of the two of them together at his house. And I'm like, fuck. So I was like excited. So I call him and I said, George, man, congratulations, man. This is great news. He goes, what? I said, you're, you're home. He goes, no, I'm not home. I'm in the hospital. He goes, I'm never going to leave here. This is where I'll die. And I went, what? And I said, what about the Facebook post? He goes, what Facebook post? Turns out his son was being positive thinking and put out there, you know, fuck COVID, fuck the doctors got it wrong. My, my dad's going to live. And he posted that as a positive affirmation. And I but didn't know that's what that was. And I called my cousin happy as shit. Like, all right, man. You, and he was like, no, I'm, I'm still dying in about eight days. Yeah, now. <laughs> Is there is there is there some some kind of uh, uplifting message in this that I'm supposed to take away from it? it sounds pretty depressing to me. Like it's, to me, that thinking about that just fucking compounds uh, depression on 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 about you know yeah 
positive because again, you know, James Jamesy is one. Uh, his name is Jimmy. But I've always called him Jamesy. Jimmy James. Um, he's one of the more positive people I've ever met. So when I think about this whole manifesting stuff, yeah, you know, I can understand if that happened to me. But if it happens to a guy like that, it's like, oh, fuck the universe, fuck all this, you know. It's, I'm just in a I really think you, I think you missed the point, Matt. It's not about him. It was about me. Oh. My, I, I made my cousin laugh up until the end. That's the closest I'll ever come to killing it because everybody knows I know nothing about comedy. That's the closest <laughs> I'll, you know. That's it's not that, a, you know that that's part of it, and I I am gonna you know it, it's really not. James is not in a, a place where you can actually make him laugh. Making him laugh would be more torture than anything. So even trying right. to comfort him, the best thing we do right now is just let him sleep. Give him a morphine drip. You know, put him in hospice. That he, they did sign him up for a lung transplant now. Uh, uh, but the odds of that happening, and he's not first online. The odds of that happening before he dies are slim, at best. And then even that is not like any kind of guarantee. So, uh, you know, but yeah, I can't even comfort him. I, if that's your, if that's your point, try to make him laugh and all that kind of stuff. I can't well, even just do that. Not, not, not necessarily laugh as just brighten their day. I mean, I'm listening to you and you're not a funny guy. So I know you can't make him laugh, but you can probably amuse him. I, I appreciate the, I appreciate the point here and trying to make his life comfortable. The the best thing <laughs> we can do for him right now is, is let him sleep. Let him sleep it off, you know. And sleeping is the best <laughs> is the best his day is gonna get is not to wake up and feel it. Uh, it's a really it's, it's a it's a fucked up place to be, and I know this is not the kind of show people signed up for this week. I got to do a week full of shows, and I have two months full of shows booked, so I can't just say fuck it, no no show. I have commitments to people, uh, and we our guest is here, our first guest is here, and this is not what he signed up for. Is this downer, uh, bum the bummer of a show? We'll get to him in just one moment. I need to play a commercial. I called Joe last night, and we talked about an hour, so he's expecting all this. Okay. Uh, which one? <laughs> I'm going to play Naked Wines, and we'll be right back after after this commercial. Not the long, uh, painful one. <laughs> I knew better. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. Here you go. Welcome to A Better Way to Buy Wine. NakedWines.com is a customer-funded wine business. We don't just sell wines, we make them happen. Since launching in the UK in 2008, Angels have helped us invest in over 159 independent winemakers in 14 different countries. Turns out, it's better business for everyone. Our winemakers get to sell all of their wines and make a living. We make the same margins as everyone else and have a lot of fun along the way. And as a wine drinker, for the $40 a month you probably would have spent on wine anyway, you'll get wholesale prices. You can be sure that all of our wines have been lovingly made by a talented winemaker and stripped of all the costs that add nothing to the flavor or quality of the juice in the bottle. Support independent winemakers. Get better wine in return. 
With the support of 300,000 wine drinkers, we fund talented, independent winemakers up front. This way, they get to spend all of their attention on making you the best wine possible. World-class wine, direct from talented, independent winemakers. A better deal, up to 60% off market prices. A better way to discover tasty new favorites with over 2 million reviews from wine drinkers like you. Become an angel today. Get started by visiting MindDogTV.com and click the banner on the homepage now. You know, um, <laughs> oddly to say that commercial cheered me up a little bit because I know I put lots of DSR on there and it still sounds symbolic. But that's the way it is. I, 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 was dumb and, <laughs> I was dumb and I didn't. I recorded that without my teeth in. I, I won't do that. Again. I know, but the DSR is supposed to take care of all that stuff, but it didn't take care of all that stuff enough. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, try, try, let's try to try to make the best of it here. Uh, Joel Bouchard is a first-time guest. He's a doctoral student in psychology, multiple multi-instrumentalist, record producer, author, painter, army veteran, business leader, uh, and a podcaster. He firmly believes that generalists have a place in society and can make contributions to human knowledge. I agree with him on that. He's here now. Let's welcome in Joel Bouchard. Joe, welcome. I'm, I uh, first of I apologize for the uh, downer uh, of a show that you uh, uh, stumbled into here this morning. Uh, I don't know if you've, you're even aware of what it's all about, but I appreciate you being here. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, no, I. It, it's kind of interesting, you know. Um, when I get ready to be on people's podcasts, I listen to previous episodes and things, but uh, this is the first time that I was sort of led into it with uh, some show pre prehand but no i mean it's it's part of life you know and that's what philosophy addresses and um you know it's stuff that i'm willing to talk about yeah uh you got weights behind you, you got guitars first of all guys listen to his audio that's the way you do it uh but he's a he's a, he's a pro podcast listen to him talk what do you mean? Joe. say hello joe Joe. does it sound nice that, and see how clean that signal is, and it's like not broken up, and it's like a professional. No, he, he, he sounds like a white guy to me. I don't understand. How am I supposed <laughs> oh to do that? God. How, oh how am I supposed to do that? I thought he. I wow. sounded a little Puerto Rican, but the the sound quality. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so yeah, white people have understand. better quality than black people. What are you trying to? Yeah, Damn it, man. That's what I'm trying. You to like one bad. episode without being racist. No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> your your audio is supreme. You have guitars and weights and everything. Are you so being a generalist? It seems are you doing this generalization every day? Like you're going from playing guitar to lifting weights to uh, reading philosophy books. What what is your life? Yeah, it's um, it it's interesting. Uh, the more hobbies you pick up, the the less time you have for them all. So um, yeah, you no, kind of figure out idiosyncratic ways of fitting them in. So um, there's certain things that I do every day. And then there's certain things that um, I, I might not do for six months, but then I'll do for two weeks straight. Um, it kind of depends on the specific hobby that that I'm I'm looking at. But on a daily basis, um, yeah, you know, I'm working out. Um, you know, if you can't keep your 
your body fit, then it's hard to keep your mind fit. Um, oh, and yeah, I'm, uh, I'm attending school and, and, you know, doing, doing some of that stuff on a regular basis. But I, 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 uh, lived by that until I was 56 years old and I hurt myself and I have not, I shouldn't, there were two weeks of here and there where I've exercised, uh, for the last nine years, but mostly for the last nine years, I've been a sedentary, uh, letting my body just waste away. And um, maybe it shows in my mind. Uh, I'm sure people out there would say, yeah, we can tell the cognitive decline. Uh, but uh, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the being a generalist, now I live by this my whole life, and I'm not sure. I, I agree with you on the terms of it's great to be a universal person and have uh, as much different interests and varied uh areas of knowledge and education uh i love that but i think the most successful people and this is and maybe you can argue against it and hopefully you will that the most successful people that i've ever encountered in the world are focused they are focused on one thing and not generalist what what's your take on that i think it depends on the definition of success right ah. um, in the western world the capitalistic world right yeah we, we tend to prioritize uh making money or having power um and so in that regard yeah, yes, don't I think forget I, that don't forget that well if i can before you finish that thought let me just say this i'm not necessarily equating it to money but the people who uh, are able to build one thing that they're known for and it becomes uh, iconic in a lot of ways, whether it's celebrity, fame, uh, music, uh, art, uh, business, any of that stuff, the people. So I'm defining success as we know them for being for doing something like this. Is like, Jeffrey like, uh, like Jeffrey Dahmer, like Jeffrey Dahmer. OK, he was a successful uh, cannibal. Uh, but we <laughs> we know them for building Driven. building something that has made a mark on mankind and humanity. Yeah, I think that that that's probably um, my gut feeling on it is that it's a bit of a false portrayal. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who become known for one thing. Um, but really, their interests are pretty wide and there's sort of a synergy between um, different hobbies and and how they interact in order to inform their primary hobby, right? A lot of famous musicians also do art or they also write or they also have um, these other things, right? So there's really no such thing as like a unidimensional person, right? Somebody who, who just does the one thing and that's what they're known for, um, you know? I do one thing pretty well and I get paid pretty well for it. Uh, but I do a lot of other things on the side that I enjoy and that inform what I do for a job, right? I don't think it's any different for people who make their money in music or make their money in tech or whatever the whatever the job field is. Um, I think that being a well-rounded person and having a lot of interests, um, they synergize, right? They build off of one another. If you're, if you're good at, at art or you're good at music or you're writing or you're doing these things, they, they kind of connect and filter into your other um, areas, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, no doubt a killer guitarist, right? And somehow that helped inform his other hobbies. <laughs> it just has to be the way, right? <laughs> hey, so you're, so you're he a, a decent cook. I think he was interested <laughs> in the cul culinary arts. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree with you, but uh, I think 
when you are creating something that is going to, again, make a mark for humanity that we know them for, you don't have time to, or energy to pursue your uh, other interests until you've, cre- until you've already finished completing that task that is, you know, becoming a, an icon that the world looks to to say, wow, that's something humanity will remember for years and and maybe i'm i'm over romanticizing what success is and in, in in making a mark on humanity that you will be remembered for but i think if you are one of those people i, I hate to bring up i'm not going to bring up uh, because if you say jeff jeff bezos you can say yeah he was uh, his going to be known for shopping and amazon but his interest his main interest was space and space exploration and all that every person we do but he couldn't have done the space exploration stuff if he had not focused his entire early part of his life and energy to towards building Amazon and great finances and all that stuff. He couldn't do the space stuff without putting everything into one bucket for a, quite a period of time. And that's- you know, I really, I really agree because Kim Kardashian would never be a fashion mogul without first being a hoe bag so that's true <laughs> she did put all that's her true. energy into being a hoe bag though yeah in all now, fairness she went to the she went to the family business and getting in getting black men off so that, <laughs> that's that's a solid one that's a solid does it always have to be about race what about pete davidson now uh so aside from the Kim Kardashian thing, uh, do, do you get what I'm saying about that? Like you could not have, uh, you can't pursue your other interests or those iconic uh, contributors to humanity can't pursue their other interests until they've completed that one task that we all know them for. Yeah, I think when that might be the case. Yeah, if you're looking at people who are, um, you know, breaking ground with some things, um, it helps to have. Uh, sort of initial moment of fame or monetary success that brings you to the forefront. Now, that hasn't always been the case. Um, Plato, the famous philosopher, right? He was a a three-time gold medalist wrestler in the Olympics back in Greece. And his name, Plato, actually means broad, right? Um, a lot of different guys like that. Um, Anaximander, who, uh, you know, discovered the earth was round and, and these sorts of things. Some of these guys, um, they were doing some things uh, – that they they didn't get recognized or known for for hundreds of years, and that just might be technology related. But well, did you just say the Earth was round? Because I'm a, I've been told by a lot of people that it's flat. It's a, a you yeah. mean round is like a, a a round in a disc type of way, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no definitely not like a globe. <laughs> But yeah, just uh, just a flat sphere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. I was, I'm, I'm relieved to hear that because that would shake my whole world. Are you, world are you model. dome or no dome believing? Uh, I haven't thought about that until this second. Uh, but I would think there'd have to be a dome, or all the stars would fall on us, right? <laughs> oh man. Uh, no, well, not really. There's no gra- if you if you're a flat earth, there's no such thing as gravity. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Joel, as a, a student, as a student of psychology, what is your? Well, first of all, what year are you in in your doctorate? What? How far along are you? So I'm in. I'm finishing up two out of four. So I'm about halfway through. Okay. Then, then you can probably answer this question then. Okay. The psychology student. What is your favorite self-help technique 
or your favorite guru to mock? You know. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. That's a um, good yeah, yeah. That I would impress this with. Uh, do you believe in mock? Do you mock any of them? Is mocking a healthy thing? But God, no, he, he stop he, it. Stop. Don't, no, no helping. The, your Honor, the 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 witness is misguiding the witness. Jack. I didn't. I'm I jacked with let, I'll let him talk. Let, let's all let him talk. Come on. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I try to be nice, but um, the thing with psychology is that there's a lot of pseudo psychology out there, which is um, people who try to make um, their specific beliefs sound scientific when there's not any science behind them. And there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it in psychology. Yeah. Um, and so, your favorite one to mock is? My, Probably my favorite ones is, I wouldn't say to mock, but my favorite ones to uh, disprove are, are uh, genetic behaviorists, people who claim that um, the way that your life turns out is based off of your genes, because it's just not true. Now, I beg to differ because I know a lot of women, because the genes, the way they look in their genes, they they progress like much further than other women who are like wearing, you know, just regular flag. If you so, study that joke that he just told, you'll have the basis of all his comedy. It's basically what <laughs> it's word equivalence or or that kind of thing. Well, I was and nervous you, right after I said it that I I was stepping into a racist joke trap. So at least it didn't uh, yeah, go that direction. Well, there is a lot of that going on. Uh, people with uh, uh, trying to equate. Uh, IQ or intelligence with racial uh, makeup and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I always try to push back on that because I don't believe, and this maybe this would be a good question for you as a psychology student, uh, in, in intelligence and the way we measure intelligence, I, I feel like it's almost impossible to truly measure intelligence and quantify it with a number based on how we perceive intelligence, how a certain group of people who might have had an agenda behind it designed tests to to give you a number that makes them feel superior, all that kind of stuff. What Do you feel like intelligence can be quantified into a uh, 190 is the smartest guy on, on the planet, that thing? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, I the problem is that intelligence is such a complex phenomenon, and part of science is narrowly defining and operationalizing variables in order to study them, right? So I think you can look at aspects of intelligence and sort of um, measure them in a way that allows for comparison. But when you try to integrate all of the things that compose intelligence and come up with a single number that describes them all, I don't think it's something that can be done. And, you know, there's there is a lot of um, evidence that shows that historically the systems we've come up with um, are based off of middle class white people. And mm -hmm. so though their experiences and the things that they interact with are not the things that other cultures um, interact with. And so as a result, other cultures and other races don't do as well on the tests. And so they look less intelligent when that's not really the case. It's just the certain things that you're measuring. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't see um, I don't see holistic intelligence tests as being something that hold much value. So uh, how many? So how off, How many times should a person peel on a fence before an electric fence before they realize that they shouldn't do it anymore? So 
just, well, I, yeah. I guess you could holistically measure intelligence with that number. You know, I think uh, okay. the higher that number, possibly the lower the intelligence. There might be a linear relationship there. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, Joe, I have a, oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Go ahead. No, ask, will you? Yeah. Joe, I have a question. As someone who's a psychology student, having been on this show for a few minutes now, do you think there's cause for there to be a case study on this show? I think. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? So if we can flip uh, uh, segue from psychology to philosophy. Um, I, th this morning is all about me being uh, me grumbling about what a how let down I am by humanity and my ex and Willie said it's because of my expectations and he's he's right about that I shouldn't expect things from people but I have a friend who is uh is suffering with a, a terminal disease and asked two thousand people who have been on this program or my evening program to donate five minutes of their time to help with a fundraiser that will make his suffering slightly less not a lot less but slightly less um and uh, basically was extremely disappointed in the response. Like nobody, and people who have used this program to promote themselves suddenly don't have five minutes. To, and so I gave up on humanity as a whole and just thinking, you know what, people suck. That That's my current philosophy. You got any kind of uh, wisdom that, that says uh, a counter to that or, get, or any positive... Um, spin on the nature of humanity or is society doomed to a bunch of selfish self-serving we all i'm all, it's all about me people yeah you know um philosophy is different from science right um science you need a certain set of skills like with psychology philosophy everybody has a philosophy i always love to tell people that um, philosophy is your favorite subject you just don't know it yet right because you can talk <laughs> about anything philosophy um on our show, we've looked at God and time, the big subjects, but we've also looked at Disney princesses and entertainment franchise reboots, right? So anything's philosophical. Um, and with that comes, um, you know, different views on different things. Um, so I think that, you know, a big one that, that you guys have been talking about with this situation is meaning, right? And so that runs the gamut. You know, you have Nietzsche and, and, and some of the some nihilistic philosophers saying there is no meaning um you know the whole thing sucks that's it and then you have the existentialist philosophers who are saying man you know i we can't find an objective concrete meaning and that terrifies us to our very core but but so what do we do with that and then you have other philosophers that um you know try to establish objective meanings and things but to me what the overall picture says is that the meaning is really subjective, right? If you feel that there is no meaning in life, then there is no meaning in life. If you feel like there might be a meaning, but right. you can't figure out what it is, that's your reality. If you if you think the meaning in life is that, you know, God created this and sent this guy to save you and all this stuff, that's your meaning, right? So the fact that there's no, there might not be any objective singular sort of um, meaning out there is sort of besides the point, right? It's what it's what you think about it and what you make out of it. So, you know, right. the, your your perspective on a situation is going to dictate um, your reality about it. So, um, there's some 
it's it's sort of the Zen Buddhists, right, would would say that, you know, okay, so the really nothing is happening, right? Nothing's happening. It's just what how you're perceiving it, how you're reacting to it. So the people that you reached out to um, are some of them terrible human beings. There's a good chance some of them are terrible human beings. Um, one of them, their... definitely. One of them, without a doubt. Who the guy who told me "fuck off"? I don't know this guy. He doesn't have any. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> and so human being. <laughs> yeah, and so his reality is is completely centered around his specific experience. And to him, apparently, the rest of us are just walking meatbag robots who who don't have any human experience ourselves. So he doesn't have to care about us, right? Um, but there might be other people that didn't get the message or other people that had something going on or w whatever the case is. You know, there, there's a whole picture that tells the whole story. But the fact is, we don't know what that is. Um, so how we decide right. to interpret it and how, and what what story we decide to tell ourselves is ultimately what is going to become our reality. Yeah, what, that's, what what, that's what takes over. Yeah. 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 Have, have you heard of this uh, winger's friend experiment? Um a Wigner's friend is, uh, I keep saying Winger's, Wigner's friend, it's a, it's a quantum version of Schrodinger's cat, <laughs> Schrodinger's cat. It's basically, uh, and this just was published just recently. It's uh, the, if we look at a photon uh, and it's a uh, spin axis, it, they're saying that the spin is uh, subjective. So it, it, can, it can be in two different, modes at the same time depend and it changes based on whether somebody is observing it or not so it's it's completely subjective which to me is basically the same thing as the cat is the cat alive or dead uh all that is uh so reality can be subjective uh not without an objective reality but for that guy who is laying there choking to death i think there is an objective reality I'm dying. I'm dying a horrible, slow death. Uh, and, and that kind of, you know, you can think about meaning and all that kind of stuff. The fact is that if nobody is, nobody cares enough to even try to help, I become really disappointed with this whole experience. And like, when you, you know, meeting, what the fuck? Why, why are we even here if we can't give five minutes to a, a fellow brother who is, who is suffering? And I mean, it's it's really disheartening. And I don't know how to how to get out of a funk like that of thinking everybody sucks. This planet sucks. This existence sucks. And why would why would this world be created if for all that kind of stuff? What what do you have? So, okay, yeah, go, Joel. Let, let get him, go. Joel. <laughs> no, I'm. You know, I mean, that's. So I mentioned. Um, zen buddhism earlier that's that's the primary principle of it is that existence is suffering right and so we're all we're all going to die and for some of us it's going to be more painful than for others and for some of us it's going to be sooner than for others and and that sort of thing so um it, again it's it's one of those things it's our interpretation of it that is is what becomes our reality and i think that your point what you're saying is is very important right for this guy this is this is what's happening to him right and there are things that the rest of us could do to make that easier. And so when we think about the in the grand scheme of our lives, right, what would we do with five minutes that would be more important than 
trying to brighten somebody's day in their last minutes, right? right. Um, I think most of us, if we have the, the slightest bit of empathy, um, we'd be willing to make that sacrifice, right? Um, but, but yeah, you know, we, we can't control the thoughts and, and, and the actions of others. And, you know, yeah. that's unfortunately the reality that we live in. Yeah, but it makes uh, me, yeah. I, I agree with it, but it makes me want to say the next time one of those people calls up and says, can you, can I come on and, and, uh, uh, and promote my gigs or whatever it is, I, it makes me want to say, <laughs> well, come back to remember when I was begging for five minutes of your time for a guy who was dying and suffering and you didn't have that to give? And then the answer, of course, is going to be fuck off. Get out, you know. Take take your little gig and go promote it yourself. Uh, and and it makes me a bitter person. And there's no escaping that. I don't like the effect it has on me. But there's, it's really going to be hard to change my own posi uh, position on that and become a more supportive person again. And uh, that's what I'm struggling with. So, Gee, did you yeah, want to add something? Yeah, I think that. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just. I'll, go ahead, Joel. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I would just say that you know it's it's just separating the rational from the emotional, right? I think that you're completely justified in in taking people who have who have treated you and treated this other guy that way, um, and not promoting them again. You know, regardless, even if nobody's never done anything to me, if they want to come on my show and and just for the purpose of promoting things, I don't like that, right? I, I'm hunting good conversations, right? Connections, things that. Um, add something to to the overall experience of other people who might be listening, right? I don't want mm -hmm. you to come on and just, you know, give me a, a give me an hour long commercial, you know. But yeah, um, but yeah. So rationally, I think that it's it's good to you know to use your platform the way that you see it, the way you want it seen, whether it's the product that's being promoted or the person who's trying to promote the product. Uh, but emotionally, you know, on the personal level, yeah, if you know, if you want to avoid becoming a bitter person, yeah, at some point you just you, you have to let some of that go, right? You yeah. just have to be mindful about about how things are affecting you, and then and then try to choose to be letting go. Is, is letting go is uh, should be easy if you think about it. Like holding on to something takes energy. Letting go is the opposite of that. It's releasing energy. It's one of yeah, the hardest. Joel, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you can continue. Well, I was going to say to Joel, uh, one of the things you don't know about our our host here is that he doesn't have a television because he let that go because he it, it was it was driving <laughs> him to places he didn't like to be, and that's yeah. why he got rid of television. Right. That's um, like having a blind chauffeur. Yeah. What now? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get off this really morbid subject right after this question. One we address this, but you know, your feelings on euthanasia because I feel like this is a case study for people who don't believe in euthanasia. If I were in that position now, it's easy to say that because I'm not facing it today. But and I've seen people who said, "I you know I'm ready to die, I'm ready to die." And then in the last moment, they're like, "Why isn't anybody helping me?" That kind of thing. But I, I think if I were in that position right now, I'd just say, "Give me the morphine drip so heavy that I just you know go. Uh, what are your feelings on euthanasia? Is it uh, as far as moralistically and 
Because we do it to dogs, we do it to <laughs> we do it to pets. We just can't seem to do it to human beings. Uh, it, it, give them a merciful way out. What do, what do Some of us can. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with it. Um, but like everything else that we've talked about, it's it's a very complex issue, right? Um, trying to determine who who meets the threshold of of uh, being able to do it, who sincerely wants it versus, um, you know, just can't deal with the pain that they're in. And then, you know, essentially what we've been talking about so far is that no action that anybody takes only affects themselves, right? Every action that you take affects multiple people, everybody around you, right? So um, does the individual have the responsibility for their own life? Um, I I think that many of us would would answer yes, um, but w- who else do you harm and what else do you take away by removing the life is is another question. So I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with it. And I I think that there can be cases where it's completely justified, but it's a really right. difficult sort of case by case basis. And I think that that's why there's such a hard time trying to write laws or or yeah when government gets into it 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 it's always about the big picture and not by about individuals in case by case and that's Mm -hmm. it's it's a really difficult thing uh we can we can try to lighten this up a little bit podcasting okay next let me try this thing (laughs) so if the person who's let's say terminally ill owes a lot of money and that's the only reason why people want to stick around so he'll pay off his debt can we like just pay off their debt so that everybody's paid and then they say, okay, everybody's paid. Now we can let them go. What if we, that if, what if we do it that way? That way, you know, <laughs> yeah. Having I think a fundra- the, I think- so a fundraiser to avoid euthanasia. Right? Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I like that. Uh, well, I have a, my philosophy and I was discussing this with Mikey who has never been this way. He's a save for tomorrow kind of guy, and, but he's my age and listen, mortality being what it is, you're right. All of us are going to die. My point is if you die in death, I, don't agree. I think we're going to agree to disagree. I don't think all of us are going to die. No, you, you're, you're going to go before me. Actually, uh, I've already got it worked out and whether, whether you like it or not, um, expect a visit from my friends is what i'm saying um but oh, <laughs> oh did i just confess to a crime before it happened um and not only that i can see the prison <laughs> torches now <laughs> my, my philosophy oh my God, if, you die, Jesus. if you die in debt you win if you die with money in the bank you lose and 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 mikey has fought me forever on on this stuff he actually agreed with me for the first time uh on our gig the other night uh that's just my philosophy it's like you know what we <laughs> you spend you no you don't live forever you can't take it with you yeah you can leave your kids some money or whatever but i'm for spending their inheritance now you know what <laughs> god Especially if you know the end is near, why not just Dude, live I, life? Though it's I close. kept telling that to my parents. So <laughs> before my parents even died, I would say, I would say for at least three years before either of my parents passed away, my two sisters were arguing among each other about who was getting what while they were still fucking here. Okay, and they would have well, these the arguments to do like right the fuck in front of them. 
You know yeah. what I mean? Right. The That's what you should times. do. It. It's like gaming the referee. It's like yeah. gaming the referee. Oh, you don't no. game the referee no. after Dude, the game is so over. Mad. You game so the referee while the game is going on. Then you don't know the rules. Then you don't know how to play the game. I sat, I sat both my parents down and I told them straight up, I'm like, you know what I think you should do and fix both these fucking bitches? I think you guys should sell the house and go do whatever the fuck you want right now. You All know right. Now, mean? Jackie, Jackie, Jackie would tell you, Willie, what's the F-bomb? Oh, yeah, I know. I'm so that. sorry. Um, I'm, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for bringing it up. I'm let, trying let's, to be let, let's switch it. gears totally. Podcasting, and this it comes back a little bit to generalist and all this stuff. Now, I know you, you just said that uh, you're seeking deeper conversations, and uh, it might be uh, not be apparent, but so am I. What I really got into this for was to really uh, have a wide variety of people's perspectives on life and issues that we all face from everywhere but i find that the audience generally just wants something lighter and laughter so i try to incorporate posing it as a comedy show and slipping in political stuff books about death and dying and spirituality and all these kind of things because they say in podcasting niches everything and you want to uh, build an audience that expects something and continually deliver it so i kind of pose this as like a comedy music show but it really is trying to find something deeper in your world do you find that or do you not even care about uh building a way you find these people who are really interested in deep conversations is there a big call for that is there a big audience that has the attention span and interest in really deep subjects. Uh, well, Joel, before you answer that, I just want you to know everything that Matt just said could have been summarized, sum, summarized in one statement. This is his show is the podcast version of just a tip. Of what? Okay. Oh, just, just a tip. tip. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. your wire got a little. Uh, so okay, yeah, you're right. It is. That's he's right. <laughs> yeah. No, um, honestly, I I think that at a deep level that's what everybody does want something deeper. And I think the comedy plays into that quite well, right? Um, there's actually uh, theoretical views on what the purpose of comedy is. And part of it is comedy is exploring the boundaries of what's acceptable, right? And so in that way, it is a bit of a deep philosophical thing, no matter how, how much you try not to make it a deep philosophical thing, right? You're always trying to figure out Hey, what's okay and what's not okay? And that's sort of, um, it's kind of pioneering society in, in a way, right? So, yeah. So I think the comedy, um, you know, podcasting, um, I think that it, you need some of that in order to keep listeners, right? Um, I've listened to some philosophy podcasts where it's just so dry. You know, you're, it's like a guy's reading from a book. And you're you're falling asleep, you know. And you go, this sucks. Um, so I didn't want my philosophy show to be like that, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted yeah. it to be exciting because that's what philosophy is, right? Before I knew what it was, um, yeah, I thought it was just a bunch of dusty books and guys with big beards being mad at the world, and that does it an injustice, right? Um, philosophy is exciting, right? You're talking about why things are the way they are, um, and everything from from comedy to uh, the double slit experiment where, you know, figuring out if light is a, a particle or a wave and that subject, you know, the 
there objectivity yeah. isn't built into the universe, right? That everything can yeah, be. Everybody simple. knows the the answer to that is light is a particle that waves as it goes by. Everybody knows that. So there we go. Solved. Yeah, yeah. Let's get CERN on the phone. Uh, Edie Bukel, by the way, I just uh, she says philosophy is a walk on the slippery rocks. That's that's Edie Bukel. What I am, you don't remember that song. You guys are too young. Well, he, he, GD's not too young. Anyway. Uh, no, I'm just too black. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just, I'm just, I do know Edie um, Bukel. No, I don't know who that is. Well, I know the new name. Bohemian. Know the Paul, Paul Simon's wife, she was a uh, new, uh, new Bohemian. What I am is what I am. You what you are or what was her only. Popeye. <laughs> yes, yes, Popeye. That was uh, basically stolen from Popeye. Anyway, uh, on the comedy thing, I'm, li- I'm reading, listening to an audio book right now. Reading, listening. Um, com- comedy book, comedy book, comedy book, comedy book is the name of the comedy book. Um, and the guy describes comedy as a, an exchange of trust, uh, stand-up comedy, in in. Because uh, there's lots of different kinds of comedy, sitcoms and all that kind of stuff, or movies and plays. And, but the stand-up comedy uh, is a uh, exchange of trust. But we want to we want to experience play, the essence of play, and and that's that's what it's talking about. Like, and he doesn't ex- um, limit it to human beings. Like it's it's within the animal culture too. And these dogs and cats have their version of laughter. And monkeys and chimpanzees and great apes obviously do. We've seen them actually do it. So that whole, uh, it's always interesting to hear somebody define uh, comedy. And the purpose of it, the purpose, he says, is basically to get, we want to become uh, innocent again. We want to we feel what we felt as children in the, in the act of play. And that's what comedy is all about. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But now, segueing from that to what you do in music, what do you think the purpose of music is? Do you think it's similar? Because I had no wolf ideas about music when I was young. I grew up with hippies who thought music could change the world and all that kind of stuff. What is the purpose of music in your... Getting laid. Yeah, music... Uh... It tickles a lot of different centers in your brain. Um, so there's there's a lot of aspects to it, right? You have the lyrical aspect where um, it's telling a story. Um, and that's one part of your brain. And then there's just the melody of the lyrics, like the, the way that it goes up and down. That hits a different part of your brain. You have all the musical, um, the tempo and, and the timbre and all of those things that that all it, it it's really a whole brain phenomenon right which is is a little bit rare lots of times the things that we're exposed to um generally go to to one brain center or the other music hits everything right which is a big reason why you see alzheimer's patients and they won't know who their their son is but they'll remember a song from 60 years ago right because you have that music all over your brain that you can you can pull from so i think that's the appeal of it is um you know how widespread it is but at its core Music is play, right? And and play is one of the most important things that we do. And there is there is psychology to back that up. And we, like your your friend was saying in the book, you see that in the animal kingdom as well, right? Um, play isn't just reserved for for young animals. Young animals employ it the most because part of play is learning the skills that you need to survive in the world, right? And to anticipate in situations that you haven't yet encountered. 
Um, but who do who do the the young animals play with? Usually it's their parents, right? I've got a 16 year old cat. Does he chase around a laser pointer? Does he bat at stuff? Yeah, he still does all of that. As humans, we we need to do the same thing, right? And so that's what music is. That's what what painting is, what writing is, um, what what all these different things are is in some ways um, play. It's, it's figuring out what's out there in the world and, and how we need to react to it and what parts of it we can use in order to sort of focus how we interact with it. Do you believe in spirit or soul or whatever, or that, that something that transcends the physical in human beings? Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? Because it's, it's dualism versus monism. And monism is just this idea that all we're made up of is the physical stuff. And I think what makes that a difficult thing to comprehend is human consciousness, right? The ability of me to the ability of me to imagine that there's such a thing as a soul or that there's such of a thing as God or there's such of a thing as outside of the universe. These really abstract things that we've never encountered, um, that we have no way of encountering, but yet somehow we can conceptualize. Um, so is it just a trick of our minds that our biological machinery is so advanced it can trick us into thinking that these things exist? Or is there something to it that we're drawing on? Um, right. You know, I think to me, the, the biggest thing for me, and, and as a philosopher, it's, it's the most admirable quality, is being able to say that I don't know. Right. And being right. comfortable with that answer being to me, I, that's I, I, I don't like answers. Right. I, I like mystery. I like questions. And that's why I love philosophy, right. because anytime you ask a question, you get 10 more questions. You don't get an answer. Right. <laughs> so, so what's your favorite comfort? So what's your favorite comfort food? Um, probably a Cadsbury cream egg. Really, dude? That is my wife. That is my wife. Yeah. Oh my god. I she, can see my she, wife. I can see my wife saying some shit like that. Yeah. My my wife went on a keto diet, and so every once in a while, she, she's allowed to splurge. And so she, we have a freezer full of Cadbury eggs for the splurge. You know that's yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. What is you your favorite? Yeah. What I've is your favorite and, uh, question from left field? That is that is a better question. What I've got it? those and I've got York peppermint patties. Those are the two. All right. Oh. That was uh, my mom. That was my mom. I put So I you could have been his mom. You could have been my mom. I, when my mom died, I wanted to put one of those in her coffin with her, you know, to, as a symbol for me. And nobody else would let Don't me do it. Put so. in the coffin. That's just gonna invite critters. She, she's in the coffin. She's going to invite critters. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're we're getting close to wrapping this up. So I uh, uh, I appreciate your patience with with the nonsense we've we've thrown at you this morning, and the, the fact that you stumbled into uh, something that you didn't. Uh, actually sign up for which was like me being a downer and i get that and i uh you know I, i'm gonna keep apologizing to people all week long for uh me not being somebody you really want to listen to right now because i know i'm in a bad place but you helped me at least uh brighten up the last 40 minutes or so i appreciate that uh now uh jay bouchard at dot pod what's the name of the uh podcast the podcast is from nowhere to nothing from nowhere to nothing. And you have a co-host on that. Cool. 
Yeah, yeah. He was actually my philosophy professor. So he's the guy that got me into philosophy way wow. back in the day. So oh, you're nice. like a pen and teller of philosophy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I get it. Uh, very cool. Uh, how often do you um, publish or put out a new episode? We try to do it every week. Uh, kind of depends on our schedules, but yeah, usually weekly. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you being on here. I uh, hope you will come back when uh, things are a little more, um, I don't know, positive on, on my end. And, and uh, you're, you're a great conversationalist. And I think there's a lot more to talk to you about on, on all this stuff. Uh, so I appreciate you being here. And uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, and maybe yeah, next time you come, maybe next time you come, the, the Dr. Reverend Jelly Roll can be here because he has a PhD. And I think the two of you have like oh very oh, high God. level God. intellectual God. conversation. Right. Sure. <laughs> have, yeah. have, have a great day, Joe. Thanks for being All right. Here. Thanks. Look the wrong <laughs> person now. Get rid of me. Get rid of me. Stop no, singing me and threw yourself Let's me. get rid of me. Yeah. Uh, speaking of PhDs, I read something online last night that um, 50,000 fake PhDs are sold in the United States every year. Meanwhile, there are only 40,000 legitimate PhDs earned every year in the United States. <laughs> so more fake ones are coming out than than real ones. That's great. Yeah, ten thousand more every year, which is uh, which. You know, Aaron Bullitt is here, uh, and um, I don't know. Should we play? Yeah, let's play a commercial before uh, bringing him in because uh, there is a um, a, a lady or a, a company in the uh, southeastern part of the United States that would like your attention right now. Uh, hey there, I'm Mr. Geronimo, product manager for Tracy's Dog. What is Tracy's Dog? Well, for 50 bucks, we send you a high-quality sex toy right to your door. Yeah, 50 bucks. Are our toys any good? No. They're f***ing amazing. Yeehaw! Each toy is made with body-safe silicone. We are constantly evolving and innovating our product line. They are built for one thing, to shake your world with orgasms you ain't never seen before. Do you like spending $100 for your sex toy? I yes. if it goes to retail. What about bumping into your family while at the sex toy shop? Good taste. Get the pleasure you deserve without broadcasting your secrets. And think of all the money we're gonna be saving you. I love me some Tracy's Doug, but I, every time we play that commercial, another thing pops out of me. So he's saying you spend $100 for a sex toy, 80% of it goes to retail. We'll sell it to you for $50. We're, so we're only ripping you off for $30. That's, that's the yeah, message. It's still, yeah, I mean, we're saying <laughs> I'm not as bad as the other guy. Yeah, exactly. That's, I, now, I what I want to know is that. It, the, the, the money gun. He's had it in his back the whole right. time. So once he pulls it out, does, it, does his voice go back to normal? And that's why the commercial ends. He's been talking like this the whole time. And then once he takes a hey there, you no, know, his voice just changes once he pulls it out. You, you, think, the gun ha you think the gun affects his uh, southern accent there? Is that yeah, it pulls his, it pulls his draws up, makes his draws tight. Then it goes, grab the cojones. And that, yeah, it affects your voice. Yeah, I think once. I think once he pulls it out and the slack returns, his voice gets normal. 
Uh, all right. Um, that's why they. That's why they cut the commercial right there. Okay. I, I, I'll. I'll buy that premise. Whatever you say. I'm. I'm. I'm with you today. Really. Um. Now you argue with me over everything, but you're not. Fine. Not today. Am I arguing with you today? No, I'm not arguing with you. That's today. true. That's true. Uh, I just <laughs> argued with you about me arguing with you. Uh, Aaron Bullet. Now, when I was putting his name in the YouTube thing, and the AI suggests uh, keywords oh, that are associated with Aaron Bullet, I got uh, GD Fenderson, GD so funny, way beyond funny. All associated with Aaron Bullet. Uh, apparently, he's your best friend now. And it can be. He's black. <laughs> okay. No, no. no. <laughs> why? Why is? Why does AI associate Aaron Bullet so much with you at this point? Well, he's probably just been on the show recently. Probably. Th- that I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean. Oh, I do like his I do like a lot of his videos when I when he posts them on the on the TikTok. I'll hit the little heart oh, so thing. You fangirl over Aaron Ball. Okay. Okay. So uh wow. it's up to you now to give him a, a, a glowing introduction. Go ahead. All right, here we go. Aaron Bullet, just another nigga. <laughs> Hi. Hi, I'm just another nigga. Hello. Just, nice just another guys. nigga. Hey, it, it's close to it's close to Black History Month. Gotta keep you know, gotta keep them safe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's funny you you said that. Like, it's one of my favorite intros. I do sometimes over my opening jokes in comedy. Like, if I see an interracial couple, supposed to usually a black girl and a white woman, I'll be like, "So, brother, how's it going? Got you a white woman right there." You know, it's not February, but gotta keep that insurance. You never know. Yeah, see, if, my thing is, I whenever I refer to my wife. I let people know. So my wife is white, and I'll say reparations, and then I just keep on going. <laughs> now, uh, is, I guess what you're saying is AI or YouTube's version of AI is racist because they just say, "Oh, well, you know, they all they all look alike to me." Basically, is what AI. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Especially like, just, AI doesn't. Yeah. It's close to Black History Month. We got to stick together. You know what I mean? I'm just. Hey, and GD, I understand my, my ex-wife was white. You know, I gotta, I had to have somebody raise down my property value. You know, so we have we have something in common. My ex-wife is white too. So oh, we'll see, small I, world. <laughs> yeah, so is one of Willie's. One of Willie's ex-wives are white. Willie, what's going on, yeah, my man? Yeah, one of black also. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let, let's go here on because uh, there was something that came up on the, uh, over the weekend, uh, a clip from Bill Maher uh, discussing race and or and liberalism, and he said basically uh, classical liberalism used to look at race as trying to have a colorblind society, but the liberals of the world have now made it that everything should be about race. So. Uh, it, He's saying it used to be we don't want to see race or see uh, people's uh, skin color at all. Now it's that's the all we want to talk about. Uh, either one of you guys want to uh, <laughs> tackle that? Well, Aaron can go first, and then I can correct him. Right. Oh, well, thank you, thank you for that correction because I I, pre- I live for these moments. This is why I hang out with GD. I'll say to Billy, actually, nigga, one second, hold on. So, <laughs> I mean, for me, I feel like when it comes to race, I feel like, you know, I think it's all bullshit. I think to me, it's, it's, I think someone that says there's no such thing as race is the same person that says 
uh, all misogyny, all mixes shouldn't be together. Like to me, like I've been called a nigga from a from a liberal as much as a conservative. And I feel like if we live in this world where races don't exist, that's stupid. Like, especially living in America. As a veteran, look, I, I have met people that have never, like, I had a roommate that was from my you know, Wyoming, never met a black person before. Where I didn't even know what a Filipino person was until I was like 22. So, like, you know what I mean? And I love Filipino food and knowing cultures. And I think, especially living in America, we have to acknowledge that there are different cultures. And that doesn't mean, I think we've had this conversation slightly, like the last time I was on here. But I love that race comes up every time I'm on here. That's I like cool. that. I, I, I am the urban yeah, socialist. Really. And Willie. It's always Willie. It's always his fault, man. You know, I just, you and that black wife of yours always mm, stirring up. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But for I me, get more I just, hate. I get more hate than you guys because I'm 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 a race traitor. Isn't that crazy? And that's actually really crazy. Like I, I've actually noticed that in myself in life. And I would love your opinion on that because I like if a black guy's with a white woman, they're like, oh, whatever, it's fine. But when but if a white guy's with a black woman, like he's a he probably tricked her. He's just a black dog. It, it's so crazy. And and I just just think that like the fact that people so, especially live, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's also I'll jungle say, fever. Uh, I dated I dated this black girl when I lived in Los Angeles back in 2003, and I've never felt more intimidated than I did when uh, we went into a Popeyes, um, and and I can't remember I can't remember what exact city we were in, but we were in in LA County, and uh, um, and it was closer to Hollywood, but it wasn't Hollywood, but. Dude, every one of them black dudes like looked at me like they wanted to fucking just be. But I will say this: the black girl I was with was fine as hell, and they were mad that I took a sister like that off the carpet. You know, they were just like, "Fuck no, this fucking white guy fucking getting her. Fuck that dude." You just knew they were mad as fuck about it. Like, oh man. But then, or or they knew how crazy she was. They knew how crazy she was. And says, "Oh, so that's where she went." So, (laughs) listen. So we we ended up having an argument. Like not long after that, whatever. uh, I had I had made some calls back to South Dakota, uh, talking to an ex of mine, and so we had like a really big argument about the phone bill, right? And uh, uh, like, uh, but anyway, um, we get this fight, and she's like. You need to leave. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. She's like, I'm going to call the cops. I was like, let me find my bag. Like, immediately. I was like, (laughs) because because I was a white dude in Los Angeles County. You think I'm going on to jail on a domestic beef with a black girl? Fuck no. Fuck no. I get (laughs) shanked for sure. You know what I mean? Like, fuck Yeah. Yeah, well, they, they didn't get OJ, but they would have got you for sure. They'd have been like, "We got to get this white yeah, guy." He's, 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 the minute like, <laughs> you had a big <laughs> argument over the phone bill. Yeah, well, because because the phone bill indicated that I was talking to somebody back in South Dakota for long periods of time, and oh. she ain't dumb. She knows I ain't. You know what I mean? She knew I was talking to some bitch. You know, so oh, like the phone could... bill came, and it was a real wow. fucking problem. Wow. And you got a phone bill from South Dakota. You know she was like, you were, you know that was very specific. It's a very specific. It's very specific. They're like, all right, come on, now. right, right. Well, that's where I came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she wasn't dumb. She knew what was up. So, um, just uh, to kind of really quickly uh, switch gears here. Now, Aaron, you had uh, booked another date 
Uh, but we can't we can't do it that day because Willie's friends at Black Flag Studios want the entire okay. show that day. Okay. So I, I don't know if you I wasn't uh, uh, not accepting your request for the day. You're welcome to come on any any day you want that's open. But uh, for some reason, Willie's friends want the whole two hours to talk about music that day. Well, there's well, going to be three of them. Oh, oh, yeah. About art, not about tattoos, not music. That's right. Black Flag yeah. Studios. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so um, you and now you've been on GD's program recently. I, I was not aware of this. How, what, how long ago was this, and what, what did? What, are you guys a regular thing now? You're dating. Yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, we're going study right now. Well, we're more, yeah, more, yeah, more, more like pod buddies. Wow, all right, good. Pod buddies, no pod buddies. Get it right, okay? You gotta get it right. Two peas in a pod. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know. Two peas in a pod. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you know that's that's uh, you know I'm glad to see you guys have made a love connection based on uh coming together on this show. I feel like Chuck Woolery here. Uh, we'll be back in two and two. Uh, Comedy-wise, what's going on in, in your world? Are you performing a lot? What are you, what are you doing? Yeah, so actually, I just got done doing uh, a certificate for college. Actually, I uh, you said I'm actually working, hopefully, towards a master's degree, but I just got a certificate, worked for a couple months, so I've actually been writing a lot. Actually, I have a new joke I actually wrote the other day. I, I did an open mic last night, and I'd love to tell you guys. All right, here's the joke, right? One of my favorite movies is Rocky. I am a huge Rocky fan. I love it. Because as a veteran, I it, it upholds American values, right? It talks about triumph, resilience. Plus, Rock is the only white guy that seemed beat up a nigga, and I wasn't even mad about it. I was like, hey, he had to do what he had to do. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there was that part, kind of, uh, you know, boxing had that racial aspect for for a long time. I'm mean, Chuck Webner, is that who Rocky is based on? I think that's who, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. there was always these. And listen, I I know it was it was not explicitly talked about, but within the the my white friends, it was always the idea that since uh, Ali, it was just, and even before Ali, uh, Sonny Liston, a lot of black heavyweight champions, and they desperately wanted, you know, Jerry Cooney was that, Chuck Webner was that, but right. coming off with these stiff white guys who didn't have a chance, but uh, I so Rocky was kind of based on that. The appeals to a lot of people were, finally, a white guy can win, but it's kind of, it's only through <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah, they, they, they were so reality. desperate that they were cheering on Butterbean. <laughs> I mean, Tommy Morrison. I mean, you look at it, and it always comes down. To, but I mean, that is true. That's a solid kind of, fucking point. Nobody bro. wants to really acknowledge that. That white guys just want to see a white guy can still be a heavyweight champion. And, and that's why when you brought the race, like that is okay. Like I, I have a personal theory. If if I see a black guy go against a white guy in a sporting event. It's bad for me in my world. It's a bad look if I go with the black guy. Like I, I have to. Like I don't care if the white guy is favored by a million. Like I must. And I think everyone's like that. Like for example, like my my current girlfriend of six years, black. We know each other since we were fourteen, right? And in my world, I feel like I, I am. I've dated women outside of my culture, and you know, like to me, it's like I think. I, do I enjoy the cultural similarities? Yes. I and mean, we have similar backgrounds, but also at the same time, 
there are some things that make us the same. So I just find that so interesting. Like uh, there's actually a documentary. It's called The Four Kings. It talks about the 80s. Uh, what was it? Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, uh, Marvin Hagler. What's the dude from Detroit? Uh, Roberto Duran and Hitman Hearns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it talks about that period and how like, especially in boxing, how like those four guys really propelled the sport. And you know they broke it down. You know, boxing usually was a poor sport, inner cities, all these different things. But that's what so I love about the Rocky movie. It was like finally, I like I, I enjoyed seeing a white guy from the from the slums make it and spend his money. And then he has so much money, he buys his his sister's brother a robot and fights for America. Then he goes to LA and goes, there is no tomorrow. So for me, I, I think that's cool. And there's actually um, Ted, the new show that came out. Um, Ted actually had a, a, a replica of Rocky's like mouthpiece gate to his dad. And he was like, oh, I love it. It's so interesting. Like, it's so interesting when you see those racial elements and how people like cling to that. And especially the UFC, like I, I, I love seeing that. I love seeing like, like you'll 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 meet you'll see these fighters that like they can whoops they can like break someone's arm five minutes but speak no English and you're like dude that's amazing like you 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 just see all those different things and I feel like that's what makes America great is like dude like I like going out in my neighborhood and I might meet somebody that's Latino or Asian or black or you know what I mean but we all we all have these similarities and similarities as well as differences and I think. If we continue to act like they don't exist, then what the fuck is the point of those those uh, buckle hat wearing motherfuckers from the, from the Mayflower coming over here? What was the point? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Eh. Uh, you just I, reminded I me of something. When I was 11 years old, Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali had their first fight. I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I think in uh, just starting junior high school. And all the black people were for Muhammad Ali. And all the white people were for Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier was seen as the white guy, even though he was three shades darker than Muhammad Ali. But it was definitely drawn along racial lines, who you were rooting for. Right. And, I, <laughs> and it was so weird. It's like, you realize these are two black guys, don't you? I mean, but it was like Joe, Joe Frazier was seen as the white guy, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but because Muhammad Ali, yeah. though, like, uh, it, he actually did that. He actually was like, um, he he helped frame that picture. Of, what was the doc? It was a PBS Ken Burns came out with Muhammad Ali, and that was his mo. He was like, "I'm the black people's champ because I'm Muslim," which they fucked him over and took all his money. But and so and, in, in and way, also the, the Vietnam yeah. War as well. The way he framed the Vietnam War, right? As well. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there was a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of backlash against uh, Islam or uh, being Muslim at that time. They, people didn't even know what it really meant. It just meant that uh, he wasn't a Christian. But uh, uh, I think his uh, um, yeah his position against the Vietnam yeah, War, the fact that's that enough he, for white people, for most white people back then, not being a Christian was not being a Christian and ducking the draft probably put a really bad taste in a lot of white people. I never I hard. never heard it come up though. I heard I heard a lot of people throw the N word at him, but I never I never heard anybody throw the M word at him. Never. Uh, <laughs> right. Never. Now, uh, now right. I, I I'm thinking just listening to you guys, one of the things that just occurred to me is I think the sports like boxing, wrestling, I guess MMA, I'm not familiar with MMA fighters by name. 
but those are like the only two sports I can think of where you can actually, as part of your name, go in there and it's like the 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 Irish so and so, the Sheik so and so, you know, the Muslim so and so, the Russian this. Now I don't know of any other sport. You don't hear like the quarterbacks going, and there he is, the you know the the um try, I can't even think of a race now. The, the, you know the Chinaman from Hong Kong or something. You don't. You don't have that in any other sport. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You don't have that in other sports. It's just in boxing and wrestling that I can think of. Yeah, that's pretty true. I think um, there there was some stuff with with uh, a lot of the Asian guys coming into Major League Baseball. I'm not going to say what they what they are, but there was some. Epithets. Yeah, but they don't go by the name. But they oh, don't, that's right. not part of their name. You're you know, right. nobody said. Uh, I can't, I can't, damn it. The, the, the guy is—he's like a great hitter and pitcher, and I can't remember his name now. Oh, Otani! Oh, um, Otani! Oh, oh, right, like Ichiro, and like even though people, nobody, nobody called Ichiro other anything other than Ichiro. Nobody ever said the Japanese bomber Ichiro. Yeah. No, nobody. That's not. That's not the, you know the slant-eyed slider Ichiro. Nobody. That did not happen. You know, it's only in boxing and wrestling where you can. Be part of your name can have like a racial slur or a racial overtone openly, yeah. and nobody complains. The kamikaze kid. Uh, yeah, that's it. yeah, nobody. That's the only place. No, no other sports can you can't do that in golf. You don't see that in golf. Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson cannot be like the the Irish slicer. It can't be. No. Sorry. <laughs> uh um, now I, we probably talked about this before, because you brought up Hagler and Hearns. Uh, well, you didn't mention them as as the, their fight together, but that is like the, the quintessential, like the best fight I've ever seen as far as pure boxing and guys just beating the shit out of each other and not go. You know, it's exhausting to watch if you look back at the films now. But boxing in general as a sport, is it even a thing anymore? Because back in those days, uh, or even predating those, ABC television had Friday night fights on, and you would have three right. hours of boxing on. Boxing was a really, really popular sport like on the lines of where football is now, where every, you know everybody planned their way big fight pay-per-view. I don't hear about boxing anymore at all. I think MMA has kind of, you know, eliminated boxing from our culture. Well, is it still a thing? And I'm just not aware of it because I don't have TV. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. The other day I heard somebody mention Klitschko, the Klitschko brothers, the Klitschko, I think. And I and I thought to myself, wait a second. I haven't heard that name in like 10 years. Is that like, is, there, is that their children fighting now? Because I have like no idea. Like, I, I don't pay attention to... Well, I don't pay attention to a lot of sports anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, but is boxing a thing? Is I it? Mean, yeah, there there is boxing. Like, there's like Devin Haney. There's there's it's box. It's kind of weird because now it's still like it used to be like heavyweights the big thing. Now it's like flyweight, smaller guys. But I mean, there is boxing. But I just think MMA where people people just love seeing other men like in a cage choke each other out. And I, 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 what I think what what attracts people to MMA more than boxing is just the accessibility. Like boxing, it's more technical. Like it, and I, I grew up watching boxing. You know, being from Louisville, Kentucky, I just think MMA, like it's just to me, it's 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 just more exciting because you know you, there's no holds bars. You can really like 
you can like I've I've seen a guy like slice someone's like eye open and they fight for five rounds. So it's that it's kind of the way I, I look at it is like think of it like I'm trying to find a way to explain it. I, I think the rawness of MMA that people like and the 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 global appeal because now like with MMA, like I remember growing up like Spike TV. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like it was on Channel 41. I was a Latin kid. I remember my channels. Cause like Carnet was 52 and the T-bit was 27. Hey, when you're at home by yourself, you got to remember this shit. But I remember that it used to be, it, it used to be on TV for free. And now, I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, it's, it's selling out like Vegas is the unofficial hub of the UFC. And I, I just think, cause you can, you don't necessarily have to be a fight. You can be a wrestler. You can be a grappler, jujitsu. I'm like, there's, there's towns like Austin that specifically, if you go to Austin, Texas, right. You can have, you could be, as young as 10 and grow up in the shit. So I think it's more of the appeal of you don't have to just be a boxer. You can have different backgrounds and enter the sport, but also at the same time from the appeal of like nationally. So like you said, like it's a national thing, right? So there are just like Russian fighters. There's American fighters. Like in each ethnic group has their own specific, like specific, like, like Romanian dudes know for Russian I think Brazilians are doing for jujitsu. Americans mostly like you'll be like a, guns, like, sidearms. Yeah, it's true. And, and yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm and you'd be. I'm surprised that they don't a like stun gun. weapons. I'm genuinely surprised. Like it's, it's crazy. But do I, you think a, that the uh, trying to make boxing because she's bringing up what you know the, the, the cut faces and all that stuff that used to be a thing in boxing they tried to make boxing more civilized and it's like war i always say there's no such thing it, it, it always war crimes fuck it, it murder is always a crime what when did uh we get the idea that uh you can there can be a crime in war i mean the idea of war, of war is to kill as many people as possible so boxing used to be a brutal sport i'm thinking of vito anto antifermo who he was known for as a bleeder. They would punch this guy, and he would it would just bleed from everything, and his fa his face was just like a sack of blood. And, he just <laughs> and it was like that. It was a very brutal sport. They tried to civilize it and make it less of that. Do you think that is led to the downfall? Because you're talking about MMA being more of that. You can see more of that brutality in there. Do you think that's what killed boxing, or no? It's just the uh, you know the added kicking and biting and and licking. Well, did boxing change? I think somebody died in the ring. I'm trying to think of when that oh, was. Oh, lots I'm of people. Baku that... Kim died with uh, Boom Boom Mancini. Uh, right, that, right. Yeah, but there was a lot of people dying in the ring. Yeah. I'm just wondering is that when it changed? I'm trying I, for some reason. That yeah, was her. That was before. That was before Mike Tyson's day. When Duck who came, uh, when Henry, uh, Boom Boom, I almost called him Henry Mancini, the conductor. Uh, boom Boom Mancini. I will kill you with my song. <laughs> boom Boom Mancini killed Duck who came, uh, like almost ten years, uh, well, six years before Mike Tyson even became champion. And then you know he went on that brutal run of just like decimating people within the first sixty seconds of a fight. Uh, <laughs> But no, so you know, I don't think it's a, it's the 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 murder. <laughs> I think okay. it's, the, it's, it's always been murder. It's a murder. It's always. I think it was the bloodiness and the brutality of it, and trying to make it you know more homogenized so that you could put it on television and people wouldn't go, oh, oh, oh. 
But there were a lot of white guys, Vito Antofermo, Chuck Wepner, uh, Randall Cobb, uh, who led with their face and just would, went in there to be pummeled uh, constantly. And I think that turned off a lot of, you know, you couldn't watch it with your with your wife. Uh, she would be like, eh, what are you watching? Uh, I, I'm just wondering, do you think that... What do you that think, that they're cocky? Yeah, yeah, and and I, I I think it's that I think boxing now is it's the pacing again. Like I'm, I was born in the '90s, and so my perception of boxing is different from others. But from what I've seen, it's more yeah, it's the the, the rounds seem shorter. It just seems more methodical. Like it seems more like 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 I said, I, I do remember growing up and seeing Mike Tyson just knocking the shit out of people, and it it was great. But now it's more like. They're hugging more. It's more. Oh yeah, that's boring. Yeah, yeah. You have you have a couple of fighters like that that have that old school like really want to knock people out. But now it's more about just preserving yourself. It's, it's more about the money. I, I think that's what changes boxing. People care about. All right, I got to make it through the fight so I get the money instead of like that pride of like 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 I said in the UFC. Yeah, the money's cool, but they don't give a shit about that. They're like, dude, I gotta, I I want to knock this person out. Like. Like I watched, uh, was it Ryan Garcia and I forgot the dude's name. I can't think of his name. And, and like he, uh, leading up to the fight and the fight, it just seems kind of like scripted. It seemed like, it seemed like, uh, yeah, you know, they they want to go against each other, but it wasn't like passionate. But when you watch like these UFC fighters, they're really like, like I, <laughs> my dad beat me with a t- with a with a hammer saw so the stomach when I was five <laughs> to get ready for this shit. Or people have that national pride, or it's like. You, what that passion you used to see in boxing, you see in the UFC, and it could be the brutality, but I think boxing is just kind of people want more. You know what I mean? It's, it's it's like going to the movies versus streaming. It's like yeah, you could you could go to the movies, spend seven dollars, and great, or you could get a whole series and binge it. I think we're in this culture now in America where people like no, they they want they want the brutality. They they want to see someone get elbowed, knocked out, choked. It might be sexual. I don't know. To me. Yeah. Why, why, why would you want to wrestle? Like, and my biggest thing with UFC, and I say this to everyone, like, like, like in boxing, if you punch me and knock me out, okay, the fair, that's gentlemanly fine. But if you kick me and knock me out, especially in front of my family, I got to slash your tires or something. Like, I got, I, like, you can't just do that in front of my family and act like everything's going to be okay. Like, I, I got to get you back in some way. Uh, I have a feeling Willie's going to be a, a fan. Uh, but I'm going to put this out. Uh, women beating the shit out of each other in a ring. I never, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't I would watch it, but there, I know it's a, a thing now, and especially with UFC. Like, uh, women beating each other up, like men beat each other up. Uh, fan, fans of it, you guys appreciate that or, or not? Well, one of the things I do like about it is that in, in when it happens in the wild, People yell, you know, cat fight, you know, jello fight, shit like that. But when it happens in the ring, they're given their props. You know, they that's where they have a true equality. They don't yell those sexist things. It's like she's kicking ass. So that's the one of the things I do appreciate about it. Other than that, I mean Well you're yeah, I, mean, I I I love I really I, I like a tough chick. I like a jacked up chick too. You know what I mean? I do. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, dude. Uh, when I see a woman that looks like she might be able to harm me, I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> but yeah. what about watching yeah. two two women just pummel each other and, and you know? I mean, each I will other say I, I will say that like 
I don't like I don't like seeing a chick get brutalized. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like seeing a brutal fight between women. But that was one of the things I liked about Ronda Rousey. You know, her move was that arm bar. You know what I mean? So she was more so going to grapple them and not, you know, uh, not to say that she couldn't or whatever. But uh, that was one of the things that I liked more about her is that she wasn't in there to like beat the shit. She wanted to get you down and wrench your fucking arm out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, now what I, about uh, lingerie football? That's true. That, that true. I fucking love. That I fucking love. That shit's amazing. I've never seen that. Uh, it, oh, it sounds, bro. It I'll tell you what. The, it's great. The it's, most it's common amazing. injury, the most common injury that keeps uh, quarterbacks out of games is pink eye. It's a bar strap. Is the bar strap coming loose and snapping and hitting somebody in the eye? That's, I thought that was the most common injury. Two of the most brutal fights I've ever seen in bars uh, were involved uh, small women. I mean, petite women, women who were five foot tops. And they were the t- they. It was generally lots of guys involved in the fight too, but the the women stood out. And there was one where uh, these guys. 10 guys and this one little chick came to avenge getting their ass kicked in the bar a week before. And none of the people they fought with the week before were there, but they decided to have a fight anyway. And all the guys went, I went down pretty quickly. I grabbed the biggest one and he, and basically put him in a full Nelson and he was done. He basically said, I give up. And basically I was holding them there. The cops came in and they were hitting people with billy clubs. Four big cops hit this chick with billy clubs face gut boom she kept coming at him one guy this guy frank i'm not going to say his last name had a pool cue and he swung it like a babe ruth cut robinson frank robinson the baseball player no i knew it close but and this chick just would not go down she was the most resilient thing i have ever seen and i was like she's on like some kind of like uh pcp or something holding her up right and and then there was another fight I remember on the nautical mile where this chick got in a fight in the bar and she was getting like she was taking a uh, a you know Chuck Wepner beating on the, on the dance floor there and then they cleared it out and then we're playing and then I, about ten minutes later there's this thing going down the street and it's like ten dudes beating up this chick but she's still fighting and they're going down the street like in a a moving. Uh, uh, <laughs> caravan of boxing, but beating the shit out of this chick, but she's not going down like like resilient chicks. I don't know. I, I, there's something to be admired about that, and that they don't they don't fold. My up father like would have loved her because he know, liked about my mom. Know my mom to kick my legs out from somebody. Um, <laughs> you mean like like sweep their feet or just like yeah. Kick them? yeah, Cobra Kai, sweep the leg, Johnny. Yeah, sweep <laughs> the leg. Yeah. I'm yeah. over crane. I'm over crane kicker myself. I like to wind up and ready. It's more. It's more of my move. Yeah. Like what's his What's his left leg? Because I'm gonna beat the shit out of you now. It doesn't yeah. work. See, I'm I'm at that stage now. If I'm going to get into a fight, I'm pulling out my wallet and I'm saying, "Look, let me buy your drink." Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about this over. Let's talk about this over 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 my over my debit card. Let's have a couple of drinks. Yeah, I really don't want to fight. With that, uh, just my comment on the sweep the leg thing. Everybody has, and this is Mike Tyson's line, not me. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, hey, bar I've been fight in the face, plenty. 
<laughs> bar fighting is a lot different than ring fighting. Sometimes, you know, yeah. you're you're like in very tight spaces and all that stuff. So it's a whole different thing. Yeah, trying to plan you it know, out and strategize it is it's insane. I, used to, I was I used to, I was an amateur boxer and in our league there was a woman, uh well I was a teenager, so I'm gonna say a young lady. Uh in my league there was a young lady and I was like five foot six, five foot seven. She was six foot one. Okay, and but I was raised. The problem, the problem is, I was raised not to hit women. You know, so and, 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 and so that's that's how. And so, but I mean, now I'm in a boxing league. The only woman I'd ever hit was my sister. Okay, and that's because she was a bitch and she wasn't a real girl. But that's the second point. So I'm in the boxing ring, and this I just got this thing about I can't hit her. She's a girl. And then there's the other thing in in my head is like. If you beat her, all you did was beat a girl. Okay. Now, in, in amateur boxing, you only get three rounds. That's it. The first two rounds, I didn't get any punches, and I think she was ahead of me on the scorecard, like four punches to nothing. It was like it was just a slaughter. And my 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 manager, my coach, comes to me and goes like, "Um, listen, look, uh, you're gonna have to fight back. The only way you're gonna win is to knock her out." I said, "I can't hit her. She's a girl." He goes. When you go back to school on Monday, you can be the guy who beat up a girl or the guy who got beat up by a girl. Who do you want to be? I went out and I knocked her out in 30 seconds. <laughs> All right. With that, we'll say goodbye to Govs. <laughs> Bye, Govs. Um, yeah, you got, uh, just to let you know, there were definitely some issues with the, your wire there still. Uh, when, you, when you're still, we don't get it. But when you get even the slightest bit animated, we get I'm going to have to work on that. Yeah. Um, Gus, yeah, it's this... your hair over top of it. Is it? Because you're, okay, your hair is on your shoulders, right? And then that's as you move, and, now see, that time we didn't hear nothing, but he wasn't talking either, so we couldn't tell if it was interrupting. But, uh, yeah, it I wanna I want to mention this because it, it's baffling to me. This week at Gov's, this weekend, Jan, uh, January twenty fifth. What is that? That's the that's Thursday, right? That's not even the weekend. Thursday. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, Thursday. Yeah. Stand up for Israel benefit special event. Five comics, uh, thirty five dollars. The money is going to help Israel now. I, without getting political or or taking a side in this thing. Is money the issue for Israel in the war? They need to, whatever two hundred times, uh, however many people in govs times thirty five dollars. That's going to make the difference for Israel. It's baffling to me. Like again, I'm not I'm not getting involved in Israel versus Palestine, but the idea of raising money for, for Israel as if that's going to solve the war. It's it's baffling to me. It's like what what are we doing? You guys yeah, got any any comment on that at all? Uh, uh, I, you know, it's, and again, speaking from a military perspective, being you know, I was night uh, actually was in overseas for a while, Dubai, Bahrain. One, I, I feel like this is just my personal opinion. I feel like as Americans, we kind of like we don't generally understand what's going on. Like I'm like you, like hey man, like I I believe no one should die. I think there's always a diplomatic solution to everything. But I think sometimes as Americans, if you look back at history, like America has a really good, does a good job of manipulating situations for money. So you could simply say it's all oh, because they're Muslim or Jewish, but we all know it's oil and money. Like we all know, like everything is a dollar. 
And I think that sometimes it's sad to see that like people, it, it's just like here in America. It's like you said, just, just what we said with the UFC, like the UFC knows, okay, if I get a, a Jewish fighter and I get a Muslim fighter, that's going to sell tickets. And I, and I think the big thing is that we need to recognize that it, I just don't think that I, I think sometimes we, we just let shit happen. Like let it let shit work out naturally. Like why why do we have to get involved? And and I understand you know as Americans there are some people that have families that are from the region not and but I, I just think from my experience being in the military a lot of times it's manipulated to make money for American people. Of course, yeah. Uh, we have to get involved because we have to keep the shipping lanes open. That's true. Uh, we, we have we have to keep the shipping lanes open. We're not then. So American soldiers do not fight to defend our constitution because our constitution is protected and defended in D.C. What they're fighting for is shipping lanes and commerce. Yeah, but besides all that, the idea that because people don't understand that military budgets, whatever the uh, United States is trillions, Israel's a, a lot of money. The military budget is a lot of money. $35 tickets. At a local comedy club, <laughs> it's Isn't it like, right. Yeah, it's like you know what? Uh, Somebody's giving an administration fee. We have a drop of water to help with your ocean. Uh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, uh, and I, I, I'm not saying don't go. I like some of the comics who are doing on the show uh, or on the show. I appreciate wanting to help again, but it just feels like so. <laughs> So silly. I mean, it, I don't think money is the issue. Uh, it, the, the lack of $35 or 200 times $35 is going to make a difference in who wins that war, no matter what. Now, now is, is is that money going to an organization or? Is right. It uh, oh, don't even get me started. There. Who, where, where it's, how's it really getting to Israel? You're not sending it directly to Netanyahu. Here's a check for $2,000 from the money we made at our comedy show. Hope you may, I hope you can put it to good use in your war. I mean, yeah, we bought two boots for uh, two soldiers and that that's, that's where your money went. I don't know. <laughs> But Who yeah, knows? how it's getting there and and what they're doing with that, it's really who knows. Just baffling to me that, and I get again, this is my, part of my situation. I get the in, inclination, and I talked about this, and Willie was like, "Why, why?" Uh, the idea of put on a show for as show people we want to help, and we don't have a lot of real. You know, I'm not I'm not a soldier. I'm not going to go there and fight the war. So my way to help is to put on I'm going to go tell jokes in order to support your war effort. Or I'm going to go tell jokes and music to support your your terminal illness. This is the best solution we can come up with to show people we want to help. But I don't see how that is going to be really anything more than just another comedy show. I'm sorry. Somebody, I guess somebody just really felt guilty about something they did to Jews in their past, and they're trying to make up for it. They're gonna, they're gonna, it's like an apology tour, one group at a time. Well, I think all the, uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to be labeled as a Jew hater for saying it, but all five comics are Jews. So. You're going to be labeled as a Jew hater no matter what you say. That's true. And if you, I'm you, labeled, you, you, yeah, if I'm labeled as it, then I have to own it, right? That's, that's, yeah, that's you, no. you you can come out wearing no, wearing you can come out wearing. 
I could come out what wearing a yarmulke? Is that what you were gonna say? I was gonna say you can come out wearing. A, I was gonna say the the I forgot what the curly cues are. Called. Yeah, 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 the curly yeah. fries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the curly fries. You can come out wearing a curly fry hairdo, and they'll still call you a Jew hater. It doesn't matter, Matt. You just have that. They, they, you know, they just think you are, and it's not true. Well, most you, you, um, just, most you hate everybody. Is that I, I, I think I brought this up last week that I've been called a Jew by Jew haters themselves, who, who basically hear me talking, hear my New York accent, and, and just assume that I'm Jewish, uh, and I get a lot of that. But yeah, so who cares? Yeah, I think that the thing is, they they think you are a Jew hater or anything like that. And no, you hate everybody. And this morning. So, <laughs> this, I think that's how I started this morning, right? Is is uh, yeah. With the yeah. Not everybody. Uh, there's a handful of people who showed me that they really care and have empathy, and just you know, I, again, I don't, I don't want to go back into that. But place. statistically, but statistically, <laughs> yeah. you send out two thousand emails and you get uh, nine, ten responses. Statistically, you hate everybody. Yeah. <laughs> one in one in two hundred people give a fuck. That's that's my that's the takeaway I take away from it. And that's yeah, the, half that's a percentage. What? Yeah, see so yeah. go ahead, no go ahead, GD. It's fine. No, I'm just saying that the half a percent. Technically, with a margin of error, you know, that's you you hate everybody. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back in a minute. What, d- b- d- Willie, you froze up. All right. No, well, I'll be yeah, back I'm not... in a minute. All right. Get, come back in a minute. I'm pulling you out in the meantime. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I'm not like, um, I got to lower my expectations about people, and I understand that. But you know what? Um, at the at, at the end of the day, it still is. It's fucking heartbreaking to see that. Because the truth is, and I would be there for anybody, somebody I didn't know. They called me and said, I need help. It's not going to require all that much from you, even if it's going to require a full day's work. Generally, people know they can count on me. And that's not, I'm not trying to boast or anything like that. It's just, you know, people ask for help. I'm inclined to say yes, unless they're real scumbags to me and I don't like them to begin with. You know, if I know I don't like you, then I might say no. But if you're a halfway decent person, I know you in my life, you ask for help. It's hard for me to say no. And it's hard for me to understand how other people can just quickly say, nah, that's not my problem. I don't care. See, if someone says no, that's one thing. But for someone to continue beyond the no to say, and look, fuck you. I don't know them. Lose my address. Eat shit and die, you dirty pig. Fuck you. That's a little beyond the pale. Yeah, David Jacobs, by the way, that's the guy who said that. And he he is, uh, although he has not been on the show, he has sent people to be on the show. He runs a Facebook group, Long Island Entertainment and Nightlife uh, Association or whatever. And uh, basically, he's the guy who said that. Fuck you. I don't know this guy. And, and no, you can't even, can't even use my group to seek people <laughs> for help on this thing. It's like, wow, man. Damn. Yeah, no, like, he, he oh. sounds like an asshole for real. Like, yeah. what's the, like, so either he th- either he thinks you're a scammer, or you you fucked one of his girlfriends in the past. Uh, it wasn't about me though. It was about it was about Jimmy. Uh, it, yeah, you but know. you did the asking. You did the asking. The email came for you, not from Jimmy. 
That's true. I, I think you I think you banged one of his girlfriends. It just sounds a lot really personal. I mean, like way beyond the pale. You know what? I did say though, if it's about me, you know, it, this isn't about me. You know, if you hate me, don't take it out on on somebody else because because you don't like me. I I did say that, but oh well, that solves everything. Now I'm confused. Like, have, <laughs> have you had all the individual conversations with this person? Like, have you been like, hey, man, like, have, have you directed that conversation? Like, is it me? Have you had, I feel like sometimes people say they hate people. It's like, it's kind of like, um, I, I've tended to find I've met people who are like, I don't like niggers. Like, like, they have these misconceived conceptions. And then when you actually sit down and talk, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're really cool. Like, I, I think it's like imagery. I, I think, you know, it, it's like what, what we see on TV, what we perceive people. It's just like comedy, right? Like, you can you can go on and say like, like if I told that Rocky like earlier I told that Rocky joke if I told that joke you could say I'm a racist or I hate myself but in reality it's like you've those these are just perceptions and if you sit down and have a conversation with me like I, I'm a completely you know I'm the same person but it's just a view so I think sometimes people just make people are prejudiced which that's normal in a society like America that's normal to have these preconceived notions of people because there's so many different medias mediums and just general conversations that. There's nothing wrong with, hey, man, like, I thought you were an asshole. Oh, I got to meet, I got to know you. You're not such an asshole. Right. Like, have you had that conversation with him at all, like, of just sitting down with that, him and talking to him? No, uh, that's not going to happen. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but PBM TV's got to go now. Bye, PBM TV. It's a, a strange note to say goodbye to you on, but time is what it is. Um, I want to uh, shift back to comedy for a second. And, oh, this is... You know, I've the Tom Segura stuff. Half of it is tongue in cheek. Half of it is wanting just uh, to tweak uh, Tom Segura's fans. But um, can, both of them. Yeah, no, he's got a lot of fans. Believe it or not, I my latest video is how uh, they are like MAGA in in cult uh, mentality because every time I put out a thing. Uh, a little clip from us. I put out the thing with Vander bringing it up the other day and got a slew of hate coming my way for for just point uh, pointing out that uh, what Tom Segura said and, you know, people just defend him like I called their mother a whore. Like, this is not... Tom Segura doesn't care about you. He doesn't know who you are, but you defend him like he's your, a family member of any, even the slightest criticisms about that stuff they get really worked up about it and then they want to insult me they want to call me a nobody and here's a the thing is the guys who are calling me a nobody have no life i mean basically they they don't even have they just watching shorts on youtube all day and they want to call me a nobody but i i put out a piece yesterday as what well, how i i'm doing the same thing he does to them basically using his fans to get attention and just <laughs> putting out negative stuff. This is what he's doing. And with his podcast, he's, he's, get, he's using that negative platform to get himself attention. But here's the, the point I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to get to here. I brought up the clips that I watched about first, the, the one about him macro dosing his mother and all that stuff. Now we've talked, yeah. we've talked about how there is this perception that, Anybody could do stand-up comedy. People think they're as good as a stand-up comic because they can make their friends laugh 
in this clip that Tom Segura is telling, he's exactly that. He's one of your friends telling uh, a story that you might think is funny, but it's not comedy. There's no setup. There's no punchline. There, you might find it, his delivery amusing as you would a friend, but I think that what he's doing absolutely plays into people who think they can be comedians. Uh, and that that that, that is uh, a professional comedian's job, just to go up there and make your friends laugh. Because there is nothing comedy, art, art form, or craft in what he does. That's and I'll let you guys respond to that. If you know, if you know what he does, if I know GD's not all that familiar with. Him. So I have no idea. I've never seen so anything he's done. This, right? I would like to disagree because so the and and the art form of it is is it's incredibly difficult to go in front of a crowd of people that you don't know and talk to them like they are your friends because what you're saying is true like he's going and just telling this story and making you laugh and being able to have that kind of stage presence where you can go in front of thousands of people you don't know and make them feel like it's just a conversation between friends. This is just a story I'm hearing from another friend. I think that's a very skilled thing to do that not very many people can achieve. And like that, my stage presence is one of the things I get the most compliments on. And, and I would argue that, like, I don't write a lot of my comedy. I just go up there and tell my funny stories. And the, the now, what way, about your Christmas I'm present? Thinking, what now? You, right. you, you totally missed the point that I made. It's that, not that he, that is, a, he doesn't have that gift of gab. It's that, that right. is what encourages everybody. To think, oh, I make my friend no, I laugh. Do. I do. Well, okay, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, it very much, it very much probably helps people feel that way. But what they're missing out on is that, man, it takes some moxie to be able to stand on the stage in front of that many people and and make you feel like it's just us. Not you that much I mean? moxie, because if honest, uh, honestly, if there were, if it did take that much moxie, we wouldn't have ten billion people calling themselves uh, stand-up comedians and going out. Yeah, there but and who's actually, actually doing it? They are doing it well. That's what at, I mean. At, uh, on Long Island, uh, probably tonight. I uh, just this is just a, a rough estimate, but I would say tonight there will be five hundred people out there who have not studied the craft of comedy out there getting up on stage and talking to people and telling stories that have no setup, no punchline. And basically just, you know, if you know my mother, they're probably not much good either though. That's that, that's exactly my point. This is what's encouraging the uh, influx and insane amount of people who are doing it without studying the craft and and right. being and knowing anything about how to do it correctly. Yeah, and, and me, you know, like people like me. I mean, I don't know, GD. You're you're pretty funny, man. So and, and all you. I know. Thank you to say, as a, but brother to brother, ask Willie. He'll tell you I know nothing about comedy. So <laughs> I'm really not funny. And 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 to add to your point, my doc. You know what's so funny is like I actually I've had conversations with comedians about this, like. Well, I don't. So I guess what before I respond, what did he say specifically? Because I, I, I've heard about 
the incident. I don't know exactly what Tom Segura said or. Oh, there's a bunch of things. I will, uh, if you, I'll really quickly run it down to you. First of all, he said uh, he didn't believe that homeless people should have property. In other words, in L.A., there are homeless people on the street. If they bring their dresser with them, they're living on the street. He can't believe that the, they have a right to hold on to things they took with them when they got kicked out of their apartment. The solution, he said, was to shoot them all. Kill, kill all the homeless people. He said it was a straight face. It was not a joke. Then he complained about uh, people working at the airlines that uh, a woman who was enforcing the rules about uh, uh, baggage uh, weights and all that, carry-on bags, would not let him break the rules because he's a celebrity. He's just another poor trying to uh, use whatever power they have to keep a celebrity like me down. Uh, and then he kind of co constantly beats on the poors as being uh, a victim of their own mindset. Like, you don't have to be poor. All you have to do is change your mindset. When he's a guy who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth in a trust fund. So those are the issues that I have with him. But okay. And it's funny. He actually had a, actually, there's a comment. Uh, it's funny. My girlfriend actually, uh, we watched his videos a while ago. He actually had a, uh, I don't know if it was a joke, but his synopsis was basically that washcloths are for poor people. And that if you're only poor, yeah. yeah. And for me, I'll say this. I look at it like marketing, right? Like he knows that if he says these certain words and these certain things that people are going to react, it's just like with the Cat Williams debacle, right? You can say whatever you want to about it. Like Dave Chappelle recently said, why is he talking about black people? There's some people that are like, oh, he's taking the truth. And I think it's marketing. I think it's, it's people in comedy I think people negate the business side of what we do. Like, yes, we all know, like, the craft is important, skill works on, but business. Like, if you say certain things, people will gravitate, right? So it's just like, let's say, let's say he put that clip out there with the washcloth. Like, that got my attention. Like, I'm not necessarily like I, I'm a fan. I actually like Tom Segura. I think he's a really funny comedian, but I think that because he makes those statements, like Willie, yes, like he is relating to people but at the same time he knows if i say these certain things it's gonna grab it's gonna people are gonna go to my page or people are gonna come to my comedy shows now is that the best thing no but at the same time it got your attention you're talking about it and now you're thinking of him and maybe and let's say someone who's never heard of him before they hear he hears one of those statements and like oh man and he said that crazy shit i want to see what else he says and now people can go back in his stand-up archive on netflix and watch just like with Cat Williams, whatever what he said, he's on tour right now. So, and I've seen just from locally here in Kentucky, his sales for his tours coming here have gone up because people are now going to want to hear. Oh, well, he talked all that shit, but all these other comedians is yeah. going to say live. So, I, I think we we have to understand right. that sometimes he may, he might may may not believe it, but he knows that his demographic or whoever can hear it. They'll want to listen to it or not. It's like, even if you don't like it, the fact that you don't like the comment and you still know who he is and what he's talking about, that's what gets his attention. And I yeah, think th that's not my point, though. And I, I agree. And I'm not trying to get him canceled and all that stuff. I pointed out to people, basic, because the people who are attacking uh, me on this stuff, I, I, I'm doing exactly what he's doing. I, I am actually using his name mm -hmm. to get views and build my channel, knowing that if I put his name in the title, you're going to come here and give me some negative shit. If you give me negative shit, YouTube is seeing that and using that to grow my channel. So I'm using you 
it exactly in the same way he's using you uh, and, and understanding that. And I don't have any fucking problem with that. The point I'm bringing up is do we have – I get this all the time, and we've talked about it. A guy who put this post out. My friends tell me, funny, uh, tell me I'm funny. I'm one of the top five comics in the world. I should be getting paid thousands of dollars. I think what Tom Segura does – absolutely encourages those people to disregard the art and craft of 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 uh comedy and all and its presentation stuff tom segura went to acting lessons for five years before he he became a stand-up comic so he actually did pay his dues in learning the art and craft what i'm saying is he encourages people who haven't to think they can and without any training or any study at all, just go up there, get a mic and deserve his platform. And, and, I, and, and, it, I, and I agree with you. It's just like, I don't know if you guys have seen, it's like this wave now of social media, people on social media, what they'll do is they have these big social media presences and then they go sell out and stand up, which, you know, internet comedy and stand up comedy do different things. And, and then I, and I agree with you. You're saying, you know, like it is, it, it's not, it's not easy to do to perform stand up, but at the same time, this is just me. I'm I'm always a person that that kind of thinks differently. But at the same time, like, isn't that how people kind of start comedy? Like, we, like no one, like for me, for example, right? Like, I I never wanted to do stand. Like, I, I've always been a fan of comedy. Like, I but I've never wanted to do it. And yes, there have been times even before I started doing stand up where I would tell jokes, or whatever, and I'm funny. So I I, I don't necessarily think that. To say that, well, it's encouraging people to do stand up. Like, yeah, I mean, like it is, but at the same time, like, you know, you got to start somewhere. And and I think no, I I totally agree with that. And, you have to start somewhere, but it's encouraging the entitlement. I think I'm a fi top five comic. Is the comment? Oh, okay. You're, you're, you're <laughs> I'm saying, as good as Tom Segura. I I could be. My friends laugh at my fucking stories just like the fucking crowd laughs at Tom Segura. I must be worth fucking millions of dollars now you know that's he's definitely putting that in people's minds whether intentionally or unintentionally people are taking that message away i'm a top five comic well I, the, well then for me i'd say like then do it like i'm the kind of person where i I've, I've had that where i've met people they're like oh you're not funny whatever i'm like then go do it go do stand up go up there do five minutes and they won't do it so i think i i, I think more I, I think it's more about like if, if, if that's what if that's what everyone has their own motivations to do comedy right some people want money some people want bitches some people want money and bitches right so if you think about it right like it's more blowjobs that's true but i think i think that at the same time you know i just think that like if comedy is so, so super subjective it's it's this art form so to me one of the only art forms where it's it's a little bit of everything you act write produce and I think that if if that's people's motivation, if, if that's what they want to do and they want to go up there for that reason, fine. Now, will they make it far? Maybe, maybe not. Hell, there's there's comedians that personally I don't I don't think are funny who are billionaires. Like, I don't think Carrot Top's funny, but there was one point where he was fucking opening up at Vegas and making money. He's so got I, a I residency and yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think I think that I, I really hear what you're saying, and, and I agree, but at the same time. You, I, I think everyone who has started out in comedy has kind of had that kind of thought process. Maybe not to that extreme of I'm a top five comedian, I'm great, 
but everyone's had that. Well, I think I'm funny. You know, people say that I'm the funny. O- the other part of it is the residual part of how it hurts the industry. Now, I don't know. Uh, there's no quantifiable way to kind of put a dollar amount on this. But I can tell you, I can make a phone call right now to 10 different people who have said to me, I'm not going to a comedy club. Those stand-up, comedy, those stand-up comedians aren't funny. I'm funnier than them. Why should I, why should I pay to go see somebody else who's not, who's just as funny as me. Tell you know, I could do this at home, call my friends over and, and, and so, and again, I, I can't, we can't quantify this, but there are a lot of people who just are not appreciative of the art form of comedy because they, they see people on stage like that doing what they think they do in their living room. And it definitely, I think it hurts the industry. It, it definitely, devalues the product, the craft, the art, whatever you want to call it. I, d- I definitely think that that's part of it. Now, I don't think it's like a conspiracy. I don't think he's intentionally doing that. But I think that's the residual fallout from it. Um, it's, uh, you know, the people who won't go, to, won't go to pay to a comic club. The other part of that, and I kind of, in the video, I brought this up, $467 for uh, a ticket. Uh, you know, it's... <laughs> A lot of money for a lot of people. Like, why? Why are you kidding me? I'm going to pay four hundred sixty-seven dollars to hear this guy tell a story about his mother being high. Uh, you know, and it it's it, it's a it's a difficult thing for a lot of people. And I do think uh, it kind of separates uh, the art form from from professional people who care about the craft and are dedicated to improving the, their craft to a sea of open mic level people who are really having pipe dreams about what their own success is and attached to this idea that, well, I should be Tom Segura or Bert Kreischer or any, any of those people who are earning big money for dollars or for ticket prices I mean, that they can't justify. That's, that's part of what I like about the kill Tony show, because like, if you go up there and suck ass, uh, Tony's going to fucking tell you, you know what I mean? And, and uh, I, I think that people, you know, I think that everybody, if you have the bug to do comedy, I think that everybody should try it. But don't make a fucking 20 year career out of being mediocre as fuck, you know? Right. Learn. I think it's really important to learn the craft. And we, and because every, and this is where I started with this is that it encourages people not to learn about setup and punchline. And because if I could tell a, a story, my story about fucking playing in front of uh, people with no legs and playing. My opening song was uh, uh, a little help from my friends. What would you do if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out of me and open my eyes to see that there, nobody in the room had any legs? There's some humor in that, but that's not stand-up comedy unless it has a payoff and a, a punchline that, and, you know, you could tell a funny story with funny elements in it, but if you don't study the craft, you're not really doing comedy. You're just right. fucking telling, telling amusing stories, and that's not what comedy is. It's a craft. It's an art form. And yeah. I think you disrespect it. Now, and I, it's I, I, I have a question for you guys. Do you think and that's, I actually talked to GD about this a while ago, actually, was our last interview. So we talked, we actually talked about this, like the state of comedy and, 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 and it evolving. Do you think it's, it's kind of more exposing the industry of like access? Cause like we, for example, like now in comedy, a trend is you produce your own comedy special. Like you could, you can go on YouTube 
and produce it. And GD had a good point of, you know, there, there are some people that won't get that opportunity, that they won't because of maybe money or promotion and you put the product out there. I, I personally feel like with comedy, it's more of a thing of, and we, GD, and I, and I love for, you know, you to chip, chime in on this. I, I think it's more of the industries it within itself, the structure, right? So like for me, for example, like someone put a post out about Comic View, how Comic View was it, like, like Def Jam, right? Like you knew, okay, if you were funny, there's these pillars of success. They were like, okay, yeah. to, to make in comedy, I got to do this, this, and this. And for me, I've only been doing comedy going on six years. And you're now starting to see like Def Jam, I mean, uh, Comic View come back, these platforms. And I think the biggest thing, again, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm this big star. And I, I just think that the, it's all about a unity thing in comedy. I think it's very individualistic. Like most actors, successful actors that you see were former stand-up. Like I forgot the sister's name. I cannot think of her name. She won uh, like three awards for her role in the Bear. She's a former stand-up comedian, right? So I, I feel like stand-up is kind of still behind. Where like in music, you know, okay, like to be successful, I gotta get a, I gotta get a record deal. You know, I gotta, I gotta go platinum, gold, all these things. In comedy, there's not those levels of like success. I think the most most people think about to be successful get a Netflix special, but like there's no internal like regulation of okay like as a comedian this is your roadmap it's like well the cmt awards like cmt awards aren't new like this came out in like the 70s it was a group of people in in, in country that said okay we love our craft we love what we do let's create our own award show our own ladder of success to show hey if, if you're this level this person within country you can make it. And I think, why don't we have that in comedy? Like, I, I'm sure, like, I know individually states have the best comic in you know, Louisville, Cincinnati, but I would like to see that. I would like to see every year a national comedy awards. And yeah, there's ways to go about it. You know, there can be different comedy genres. There can be, and, and again, it's it's all subjective, but I think with comedy, there's, it, it's more about the unity. Like, it's super individualistic. And in our sport, there has to be something that brings them, like, it has to be pushed forward. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Those are my, my opinions. I just think it needs to be more centralized, more make model it after that. Have an award show. Have, a, I don't know, you could have like a a, a gold mic or something. Have these more pillars of success to show, okay, as a comic, I'm, I'm, I'm making it. I, I'm clearly going somewhere. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, let me just, because uh, I do want to uh, get – we're running short on time here and I want GD to kind of uh, give us a, a quick rundown of going to see Jackie the other night. I just want to, my final thought on this is because uh, the comparison between music probably way overdone by me, but imagine somebody did not learn the craft of song making and just went out there. I got a melody. I got a beat and said, that's the final product. This is what I think storytelling comedy has become. It's become, I have not studied the craft. There's no setup. There's no punchline. I got a melody, and I'm calling that a song. And that's that's where the art form degrades into, you don't, you didn't create a song here. You, you just showed me a beat. You gave me a bass line and a, and a, drum, a drum beat, and you, you're going to call that a final product. It's not a final product. You have not... Uh, learn to kind of structure it right. You haven't studied the craft. I think that's where uh, just this idea of I'm going to go out there and tell funny stories from my life. You can call yourself a public speaker. 
you can call yourself a motivational speaker, but you're not a comedian if you have not studied the craft of comedy. I would never call myself a comedian based on that because I can I can tell people stories that from my life that I think are amusing, but they're not. It's not stand up comedy. It's not structured. It's not. It doesn't know the the rules before you break the rules, and that's the that's the biggest uh, thing in art. Vidal Sassoon, I think, coined the phrase: "You got to learn the rules before you break the rules." So, that's my thought. You guys want to add any, anything before I uh, ask GD about Jackie's show the other night? No, we can do that. Good. All right, tell us about Jackie's show. First of all, there's a thing with it looks like your signature on a wall. Did you sign your name on a wall? That's that's his time? signature. That's oh. his signature. Wow. Yeah, on he all. No, no. I what? It was supposed to. Uh, no, he actually signed something else, and I just copied the signature uh. and I put it on the picture like he signed the photograph. Okay. All right. There you go. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make it look like I wanted to make it look like he signed a photograph. So that's all. Uh, and without being overly critical or any of this stuff, well, what, what? Because he's different. He's not. He is just straight joke, joke, joke type of guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What? What is? Uh, what was your takeaway from the evening? I I had much more fun than I thought than I anticipated because. And the reason is it reason why I say it is because being a comedian, and like I said, I I I'm I'm a I have this gut reaction to people telling other people's jokes, and that's what he does. You know that those seventy five percent of the jokes he tells I remembered from another time, yeah. but but he presented them in a way that was first of all, amusing, because it's like I, a lot of them I've never seen anybody tell. Not a professional comedian, well, because they were from albums and stuff like that, old stuff. But uh, some of the some of the jokes he does as an he does as an act out, which I thought was amusing. I love the fact that the it's everything is fresh to the audience. It's like the audience has no idea how old some of these jokes are, you know. But he does them so well, and I was so impressed. I told him that first, I'm impressed by comedians that do things I can't do. And even though I know, like a lot of those jokes, I know, I, I, I'm listening to him go like, I know this joke, I know this joke. That's the, that's right, and that's how a lot of it was for me. I'm going like, yeah, I, that, and that, and and I think to myself, that is such a good joke. I remember why I like that joke. So it's right. almost like. It was almost like um, someone watching a best, uh, like watching a band, and you know all the songs, and you're like, I remember why I like that song. So I think it's because I'm a comedian. I'll go, now I know why I like that joke. I remember why I like that joke. And so it actually got me to think differently about my own prejudice, not my own prejudice, but the way I looked at other people telling other people jokes. Okay. I now, still don't like it, but I think he does it very well. Now the opening act, there was an opener, right? Uh, he guy named Richard something. I can't remember Richard's last name though. I feel bad. Um, now, did was he as more of a, a storyteller or a joke teller like that? He was a he was a storyteller, and I I, I told, told my wife that I watched him, and he 
told his story so crisp, so it was so spot on. It was like it's like he didn't waste a word, didn't waste a word telling his stories, and like he's I'm been telling him for, for yeah, and it, like he's been telling him for so long that he knows. It, it's like uh, it's like he, it was, to me, it was almost like he was reading it, but without reading it. You know right. what I'm saying? It's like he had it down to a That's- T. That is that is what I'm talking about in in terms of being a. There's nothing wrong with storytelling, but I think um, economy of words, being concise with it, and having a payoff for people. Uh, and that's the question: Did did it end with a like a punchline where there was a payoff at the end of the story that made it worth listening to the whole story? Yeah, yeah. He had paid. Yeah, um, like so I was. The, the, my only, the, to be honest, my only critique of him was that he had an audience on all three on three sides of him, but he was only talking to the people in front of him. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and, and and I'm not that kind. When I I'm as a comedian, I walk the stage and I like address everybody. You know, I want everybody in on it. You know. Uh, so and that was my only critique. But as far as it, he was just like I said, he just had his his stories were just so. I mean, even the ones I could predict the ending to, you know, a lot of them I could say, okay, I know where this is going. And but even those, the 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 trip to get there was good. So it was overall, it was worth driving 120 miles in the snow or an hour and Fuck 20 minutes. No. <laughs> no, no, I drove. I drove a hundred fucking. First of all, if I, I don't know what I read. I think this is what happened. You know, when I punched in, because when he said, I punched it up on my computer, and when my computer said one twenty, I thought for some reason I read that as an hour and twenty minutes, not one hundred and twenty miles. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, I drive like that. No, no piece of cake. 100, that's like a 90 minute drive. I said, I do shows in DC and I had to drive like two hours. You know, I drive, I've driven three, I've driven, you know, 20 hours to do a show. Okay. So it's not like a, a big deal. I'm looking at it says 90 minutes. I'm saying, that's nothing. And, and I get to actually meet Jackie, who's a friend of the show. And this is what I'm thinking 90 minutes. And when I went to go there and I punched it in, it said 120 miles, two and a half hours. I was like, what the fuck did I agree wow. to? Oh, wow. And not yeah. only that, yeah. that was on Saturday. I spent the whole day shoveling snow. <laughs> okay. And, and I have wind. And like, not only that, because, and I don't know if you have this issue or not, man. My driveway, your driveway is a lot longer than mine. My driveway is only 254 feet and 13 inches. That's wow. it. That's how long my driveway is. So well, that's kind of short for but, a black guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but as soon as I got got plowed it, the wind blew the snow all over the shit again. I then I had like four more inches to plow because the wind I have, I have wind out. I was gonna say wind out the ass. I have so much wind up here. Wow. It's just like as soon as you plow, it covers it up. And my wife has a Prius. I have to make sure that my wife can get out of the driveway just in case she needs to. You know, and a Prius is a Prius is a sled without a sled dog. That's 
Well, I'm sorry that it was it wasn't worth. It. Yeah, I could see. I wouldn't want to drive two and a half hours for any comedy show. I wouldn't for my. I wouldn't for George Collin to come back or Richard Pryor to come back from the dead and did a show. I wouldn't drive two and a half hours for, for it. So yeah, like I said, now I, I I did like I like the idea of meeting Jackie in the flesh finally, you know. And the weirdest thing is that. We both felt like we knew each other, even though we had never met. You know what I'm saying? You know, so we, neither one of us, it's not like, because ordinarily when you meet somebody in the flesh for the first time, you like shake hands and says, hi, I'm so-and-so. It's great to meet you. We started talking like we knew each other. And if we got, we never met. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and so now, and what I was going to say is that, and once he got to know me, he started insisting that I start calling him Mr. Martin. I can't call him Jackie anymore. Once he got to know me, he's like, fuck that it, you can't sense. call me Jackie. Yeah. But, <laughs> what a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, but... And also, I just want to give a quick one. Like, we're, we're like... Okay, oh, go ahead. But okay, please make sure to watch The Lord and Lady tomorrow afternoon, or tomorrow ah. evening, I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, nine Eastern, eight Central. Uh, there's a, a page on Mindwalk TV to make it really simple for that. You can go to there's a Facebook page, uh, there's a YouTube channel you can look at. It. Uh, Lord and His Lady. That's uh, tomorrow night premieres. Uh, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so we got to wrap it up. Yeah. Aaron, uh, oh, yeah. do, do yeah, pick have, another date to come guess. back uh, in February. Uh, not too distant. It's, it's been, sorry, this uh, uh, you know, this you caught us on a, a day where I am a really uh, I'm not a, I'm not a good guy, but I'm not usually a good guy. Oh no, it's good. And and I guess my last two cents for the show is race should be like fruit. It should be organic. If it doesn't, and and I think, and I think just like with comedy, um, I think in general comedy subjective. And I think that you know if. Everyone has a different motivations. Everyone does things differently. Me, I do it because I love the craft, and I do agree that there is an art, a science to things. But at the same time, we kind of have to realize, even in just like all music and any art form, people do it for different reasons. So just like you said, music, some people like just a beat. Some people like the craft. And I think things should work themselves out naturally. So in, in, in comedy, hey, there's going to be people that love the craft, some people who do it just for the shits and giggles. So yeah. as long as as long as we have our own internal motivations of why we do things, I think it it doesn't it matters. But at the same time, you can only focus on yourself. So like, you know, my my my, my amazing girlfriend, April, shout out to her. My manager always tells me, you know, just do things for the love of it. And I think as long as you love the craft and, and you know where you're trying to go, then everything else will kind of work itself out. So, guess yeah, thanks for having me on the show. And I, I always have fun on here again. I, I said I want to be a regular uh, I, yeah, I'll definitely get another date. He wants to be a regular. Uh, get, well, uh, you know, buy, uh, binding foods will make you irregular. So. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're welcome to be on anytime you want. You know, there's an open door for you. So open, open door policy. We appreciate you being here, and uh, thanks for being here and putting up with uh, my negativity, which uh, I, it will wear off over the week. I think I'll, by the end of the week, I'll try to be a little more. Uh, back to my normal state of negativity, not hating the entire human race. But anyway, thanks for being here. We're going to say goodbye and tell people to turn on the radio. Thanks, GD. Have a great day. Bye. Are you too, man? 
All right, that's the show, man. We got to wrap it up. I know we're way over time. I apologize for that. I apologize for everything. I apologize for the human race. Uh, time to say goodbye. Don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.